Hello and welcome to the third and final roundtable of our Normandy FM Mass Effect Legendary Edition roundtables. We're here at Mass Effect 3. Uh, I'm one of your co-hosts, Eric Vanella, alongside Kenneth Shepard. How are you doing today, Ken? I'm good. You just reminded me that this is probably the last time we're going to talk about Mass Effect on the show for a, for a minute. And I got sad, so now that's how I am right now. I'm sad. We, we both know that's a lie. I know. <laughs> that's, we both know that the second any amount of Mass Effect news comes out, we're going <laughs> to... Well, the bold of you to assume that we're going to hear anything new about Mass Effect for a while. So I don't know. There's something. In, there's something in July. We might get a little teaser. Might get. I don't know. A little. A little crumbs. <laughs> Bioware has given us many crumbs in the past. They sustained um, me this long. Yeah. Speaking of someone who sustained themselves on crumbs of, of Bioware knowledge for a long time, uh, <laughs> Natalie Flores is here. Nat, how you doing? Hey, I was going to say, it has Bioware given us anything other than crumbs right. <laughs> <laughs> ever? No, I'm just kidding. But in between releases, that is what it is to be a Bioware fan, just like actual crumbs and just like just munching on them. But that's me. I'm happy to do it. Hi. We get through as best we can. I'm sure Ash Parrish from Kotaku also has some takes on this. Ash, how are you doing today? I'm doing good. I mean, you know, it's been how long since we got that little tiny bit of teaser with like the red lyrium for like Dragon Age 4 and I've been able to spin out like, you know, most of what I believe that the plot is for that game just based on that alone. So, you know, this is another day in Bioware fandom lands. Okay. We, this ain't nothing new. We'll be all right. Oh, I'm so happy. I'm so happy we got both of y'all on for this <laughs> round table. Oh my god. Uh, this is going to be flashbacks to the Dragon Age Here's a d- dynamic duo strikes again. And listen, like if if there are experts in this industry uh, sustaining ourselves through crumbs <laughs> and still being here, doing what we do best, Ash and I are some of the people that know that best. Like, yes, come on. Like, Bioware, we got you. Had to be us. Somebody else might yep. get it wrong. <laughs> and they do get it wrong. <laughs> Before we move on, I do want to shout out, we were supposed to have a third guest uh, on today that we've been talking about. Uh, Emma Kidwell was not able to make it, had a last second thing come up. Uh, so shout out to, to her. Sad we did not get her on this podcast. We hope everything's going well. Please follow her over at, I'm pulling her social media up, at Emma Kidwell. Uh, she's had some great uh, Bioware Mass Effect takes as of late. Uh, so mm-hmm. shout outs. Hopefully we'll get you on this podcast eventually. But for the rest of us, we are here to talk about Mass Effect 3. And I guess the best way to start this is to talk about Mass Effect 3 in the context of the Legendary Edition. Because the first thing I really felt playing this game, and even when I've talked to other people who are playing this game now as part of the Legendary Edition, they're like oh my god it's all here it's all the dlc it's Mm. all the stuff everything is in this game and i kind of just wanted to start there and that this is like three was in a weird place where it came out and there was like a bunch of controversy about it there was a bunch of dlc that came out about it obviously some of the dlc was very controversial itself (laughs) even before we got to the ending discourse and all that but uh does mass effect 3 kind of feel a little bit more rounded out to y'all in the legendary edition does it feel a little bit more like whole if that makes sense Mm. yeah absolutely i mean like i would say that when people tell me that they played mass effect 3 
and understandably did not play Citadel or Leviathan, it takes me kind of aback for a moment because I'm like, oh god, right, you can do that. And right. of course you can do that because they're overpriced DLC so many mm. years later. So it's more than understandable as to why there are people who, for a variety of reasons, whether it's that they find them hard to afford or that it's like, you know, you play it through Mass Effect 3 once, having to replay it again just to like, you know, have those DLC and play it with those DLC integrated. That's not something that a lot of people do. A lot of people just don't replay games. I don't like to replay mm -hmm. games a lot of the time. Um, but that is a thing that people can do and that understandably happens. And it always takes me aback when I hear it because it's like, it's very hard to imagine this game without those particular two DLC, uh, in my opinion. Mm -hmm. I mean, Citadel, I guess you could argue it's not explicitly necessary but i think it honors so much of what this series represents and the bonds that you culminate by the end of mass effect 3 um i just think it's a great way of doing right by those character bonds and those relationships in a way that um the game i think does an overall good job of but it has to constantly straddle that line between focusing on that and focusing on the larger, you know, end of the galaxy plot at play. Um, but Leviathan is such an important DLC that it really mitigates mm. a lot of the issues with right. the ending, which has come to define Mass Effect 3 um, in popular culture. And so it's, yeah, it's wild to think that at least now people will be able to experience this in the full capacity that it should be with the full mm -hmm. story that it has been written for. Right. Uh, to me, the Citadel felt like a goodbye mm -hmm. to the series yeah. because you, you kind of sign off as Shepard because in Andromeda, you know, you completely leave them. All those characters, that people, that world behind. Mm -hmm. And the Citadel just feels like closure even though it's not like an ending or a fixing of the ending or anything like that it's just it's just closure for that series it's bioware saying goodbye and giving us the opportunity to say goodbye to those characters that we've you know carried with us some longer than others and i don't know what it is but there there had to be something in the water at bioware because when they did the citadel and trespasser mm -hmm. you want to talk about some dlc that just like perfectly encapsulated the games that their their respective games in, in a way that just felt good to play as like a as a human being like holy shit mm -hmm. that was some good stuff those are unmatched nope. dlc and it just makes me think about how much how much Bioware shines when they are focusing on relatively linear stories rather than open yeah. world right. shit, yeah. um, when, which is a pity given, you know, recent Bioware. The state of them. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's, a, it's something that I, like, I, especially as I was playing them back to back to back to play Legendary Edition, I was like, it feels like it did, did take them a little bit of time to realize kind of like just how much the characters are like the core of what people care about in these games, because... That was like it was something that I like in Mass Effect Two. It's all about kind of uh, you know finding the squad of people, but a lot of those characters like kind of like live on islands and don't interact that much, with the exception of like mm -hmm. the fights that happen between like Jack and Miranda and Tally and Legion, where Citadel and just kind of Mass Effect Three in general like acknowledges like oh these characters are like they need to be more like a cohesive unit, like this group that clearly cares about each other uh, beyond you know the whatever missions you take them on, because like Citadel is like I mean. 
not even just you know the things where you can meet up with characters like in the uh, the party. Like it feels like they're doing kind of like a lot of retroactive work to kind of like fill in those relationships that people might have like headcanon for a while in terms of like how some of these characters would be friends or maybe not. But I, I do think by the time that you get to Citadel, everyone's kind of like chill with each other. And it's like there's a whole, that whole section where Miranda and Jack are like by themselves by the bar and just like hashing it out, like getting their roasts in. And uh, it was, you know, it just kind of like seemed, I think that they were learning as they went. That it was like, oh, this is something that really, really matters. This is why people come to our games. And so by the time the Inquisition came around, I feel like they had really learned that. And so they were able to give all those characters that kind of like goodbye in Trespasser. And... Uh, kind of like really lean into that stuff more so than they were before, which is kind of a shame. Like again, like you said, because they're uh, in a weird space with the other games that they had been put out since then, because like Andromeda's uh, future was nebulous for a while and Anthem is kind of going away. Um, mm-hmm. So you got you to gotta kind of take those character interactions where you can get them in those games. But um, yeah, it just really seems like they, by Mass Effect 3, they really understood why people care about these games. I think the thing that sticks out to me the most about Citadel is I play through Mass Effect 3 again now because obviously for Normandy FM, that was the first time I'd played through Citadel ever. Like I'd never played it before then. I knew that there that it was just like held as this bit of fan service that gave people what they wanted to close that out. But by the time I played it, uh, I definitely got some of that. But I think what's sticking out the most to me now as I play through it. And maybe one of the things that's making me that I'm thinking about as I play through Mass Effect 3 proper right now um, is it gives me a lot of the things that I miss from Mass Effect 3 that was not in the game prior in terms of like just doing stuff that didn't feel like it was tied to the Reaper uh, conflict. And I think this is, I we've talked about this multiple times on, on the podcast already, but uh, this is, as good a place as any to mention it, is that Mass Effect 3 for me is like very much about tying off plot threads and dealing with the Reaper conflict. And it does try to take time to do character moments and to do little things. And I think those moments do stick out. Like when you have the talk with Liara uh, about her childhood uh, and and growing up with Benezi and all that, and when you have the moment with Garrus, obviously where he's, I'm Garrus Vicarian, and this is my <laughs> favorite spot on the Citadel, and um, those are all very good, but they end up feeling very almost out of place because you go in basically knowing that you're in this constant like <laughs> you literally go to do those missions in the middle of walking past all these like war refugees and smoldering craters from a Cerberus invasion of the Citadel and stuff, and then you're like let's let's hang out and talk. And that is the vibe that three is going for. It wants to be that, like, this is the potential end of all things, but it feels like it gets up to that speed and never relents. And in Citadel, it, it allows itself to kind of ease off the gas a little bit. It's, it's kind of weird looking at Citadel and being like, or even Omega, uh, you, you play Omega and you kind of forget that the Reapers are a thing for a little while and you you give yourself that little pocket to breathe in and it gives you this space to create these interesting stories like Arya's relationship with Nyrene Kandros and you know like retaking Omega and what that means for Arya and all that or you go to Citadel and you get to just have this you know space romp adventure with a twin shepherd (laughs) (laughs) and and then have like a party with your pals and all that um and it feels a bit more natural than trying to go from like, oh, okay, you were just out there literally curing the genophage, and now you're going to hang out with Garrus on the Citadel, and then you're going to go solve the Geth and Quarian problem. 
Uh, and uh, that's maybe the largest thing I'm hitting with Mass Effect 3 right now is that I don't feel it. I don't have a problem with the Reaper conflict. It's more that I just don't feel that there's ever a pace that isn't just foot on the gas 100% of the time. Yeah. I mean, I, I think they do at least a good enough job of contextualizing those smaller moments that are, and like, yeah, we do have to like make periodic returns to the Citadel and handle business there. And I think mm-hmm. it's natural for there to be points where like you kind of you have a chance to um, let's stop stop and talk with somebody that is also on your ship that is like had had a moment like off the ship to go do something, and they're like, hey, can we take like five minutes That's to go do this thing? Yeah. And um, yeah, and it, and it does lead to like what I think is some of the best character writing across the trilogy, and it. Especially like, like I said earlier, like it just the whole crew feels more integrated than it ever has, and yeah. I think mm-hmm. that is something that, uh, like I said, kind of like was I did really miss out on one and two. Mm. They they very much felt like more like these disparate islands that Shepard would go visit, and um, you know, just like I I like that Mass Effect three like is kind of like, yeah, like you say it's not like tying up knots and like it's kind of like holding to that, but I also just feel like it is a setting in which they have more opportunities to, like, naturally have a moment where, like, oh, Garrus and James are going to go fucking tell war stories to each other and, like, kind of compare. And then, you know, like, stuff with, like, uh, a lot of the, the romance stuff as well. Is, like, it just feels like a lot of it has just more weight because characters are kind of like, hey, I don't really give a shit about how Mass Effect 1 and 2 gamified these things and made them, like, these weird booty calls and was like, hey, I want to, like, actually, like, have somebody, like, stand by my side th- through the fucking end of days. And I just, like, I'm a, I, I am a really just a huge fan of Mass Effect 3 sort of like how it plays with like the fin- finality of all these things and mm. allows their characters to actually like kind of get away from the mechanics of how a lot of this shit usually works and just kind of like have this very intimate, meaningful moments. Yeah. It's a game of moments. Mm-hmm. It For is. Sure. I and and maybe that's the, the thing that, that ultimately like will will make or break you on it and um, I'm glad you pointed out like there there's some really good moments especially like Steve Cortez is a character mm-hmm. that I always play this game and I'm like Steve fucking Cortez shows up in one of these games and ends up being a major show stealer for me every time mm-hmm. the the conversations you have with him his whole arc um, the moment where you convince him to put the recording up on the memorial wall and all that um, it's it's a really good like set of character stuff like it's it's just good writing i'm i'm always surprised when i get to three of of how good cortez and trainer end up coming across despite being characters that are introduced so late in the mm-hmm. series and i guess that that leads into a major thing that i've i've also you know been thinking about as playing this is do you did is it fair to talk about Mass Effect 3 as a single game or does it feel like it needs to be in the conversation of the larger trilogy? And I had this thought because I was recently on Acts of the Blood God and we were talking about Mass Effect 1 and they were having um, their debate about whether it should be in their, their pantheon and all that. And the argument I came to was like Mass Effect 1, you know, maybe that's an up or down, you know, that's it's definitely significant and all that. I feel like with Mass Effect 1, you have a debate, but if you talk about the trilogy as a whole, obviously, yes, this is like one of the most important RPG like trilogies ever. <laughs> it's one of the only RPG trilogies ever. Um, but it's, it, is it fair to talk about Mass Effect 3 as a singular game in terms of its, its impact and what it's trying to do, or do you have to talk about it in terms of like the broader trilogy? 
I think it's inseparable. From, yeah, I agree. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's broader trilogy. I think you could probably make that argument about Mass Effect Two, if you yep. look at the story of mm-hmm. Mass Effect Two in comparison to One to Three. It does seem like it's out of it in its own space. Mm. With how, you know, this is just a singular threat that only these hand, this crack team of, you know, fighters is working on. Whereas one in three, you are introduced to these characters, you're introduced to these conflicts like the Quarian and the Geth and the Krogan and everybody else. And in the Mass Effect 3, all of those pay off. Hmm. Like you take a little detour and there are some like significant things that happen in Mass Effect 2 that have an impact on Mass Effect 3. But really... It, it, uh, it almost seems like a duology kind of mm-hmm. you know with between one and three and you've got like people who were into that show up because they become connected to the shepherd character and they become like you know brought into to their orbit but it's really when we talk about the trilogy i think it's it's a conversation about mass effect one and three like story-wise anyway mm-hmm. yeah yeah i agree i think you can i think you can talk about mass effect three individually but you have to talk about it as well as part of a collective series meanwhile you could theoretically i think not talk about it individually but still talk about it as part of a trilogy and do it justice i i don't think you can do like the former i think and that's a lot of the sort of issues that went on with the marketing of Mass Effect 3, right? right. That it was marketed ultimately as something that new people could yep. theoretically <laughs> jump into mm-hmm. um, just because EA is beholden to, you know, stakeholders and shareholders right. and, you know, all those people that just want continuous profit. They don't really care about the impact. What they care about is the numbers and the money that this makes. And this has to make more money than the last one. Um but that's you know that's where that's where marketing and the stories that you know are being released into the world like sometimes come into conflict because you can't jump into this uh from the third game and expect to have it cater to you and i think Mm -hmm. some of the worst ends of series out there um have unfortunately fallen into this trap like i think immediately of zero time dilemma from Mm -hmm. the zero escape series Mm -hmm. that third entry tried to bring in as many people as possible and to be as accessible as possible to new players and the story just absolutely suffered as a result um i'm glad that the same didn't really happen with mass effect 3 but you know at least through the marketing you can see the ways in which an attempt was made. Right, um, for sure. And so just as Mass Effect 3 can't exist without its predecessors, I don't think it can be talked about in conversation separately from them. It is impossible to right. talk about the development that these characters reach because ultimately Mass Effect 3, all of it is an ending, mm. right? I've, right? As someone who, like, from the get-go, Mass Effect 3 is one of my favorite games of all time. It's like top one percent um i adore it uh for me it's always been baffling just sort of to see um just sort of all the the anger around the ending because to me the entire game was an ending Mm -hmm. the entire experience Mm -hmm. was just a um 
a beautiful send-off to these characters and to their arcs and to the people that they've become over the course of the story. And so you can't talk about... If if all these characters and their arcs are essentially endings in this game, um, you cannot talk about them without talking about all the other games and where their character arcs started and the beginning of those character arcs. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I... I wrote, I wrote about that, actually, on, on fanbyte.com. Every time we're going to do one of these fucking roundtables, I'm going to pen something that I wrote, like, in the past yeah. two weeks or something. But, like, I feel like... As you should. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I, I feel like there are, like, a lot of characters, especially in Effect 1, it's like, none of these characters are reaching the heights that we of, like, the things that we know them for, like, the moments that we talk about with, like, Garrus yeah. and Liara and, like, basically everybody in that first game. Um, they don't happen in Mass Effect 1, so like, it would be it would make a lot of sense to me if like a new player was coming into this, had never played them before, and had heard all the stuff, like, oh, this Garrus guy is supposed to be like, the, you know, the really, like, the coolest character in this game. And they play Mass Effect 1, like, I don't see what the big deal was, but then they haven't seen what's going to come later. And so, like, I just, I don't really know what trying to divide the Mass Effect trilogy accomplishes when we're trying to, like, when we try and talk about it, because they are so, like, as one with each other. Like, they are, yeah, sure, there's, like, a lot of things that maybe don't pay off for that well, which we'll get into, and there are some things that, um, like, there, you can see where, like, some concessions were being made trying to make it, like, accessible as possible for new people. But just, like, I, there's so much uh, that people try to, like, they want to have these standalone things that people can just jump into, and that is, that is mm-hmm. like, you know, there's a larger conversation about capitalism, but I, I don't feel like the Mass Effect trilogy ever really worked that way and I like I, that's why I really like that they put that up put it all together like all three games and almost all the DLC together it's like yeah like there were some very questionable business decisions that went on back like you know a decade ago but I it almost like feels like when Legendary is out there and just puts it all together and like really tries to make the whole thing feel as cohesive as they can um it just I don't know it just like it doesn't really feel like it lends itself to like talking about anything as a singular thing I just don't think that's the format that these games really were made for. And those are the kind of, honestly, the, the kind of video game stories that I prefer. Like, Danganronpa is something that's very insular. It's like something that you have to kind of like see the whole thing to kind of like understand the, the breadth of what it's talking about. And Mass Effect's just that same way to me. And I like, I know that there are people that like, you know, maybe prefer one game or the other, but I think you kind of have to talk about it as a collective because I think that's what these games were made to be. Mm-hmm. It's, it's also tough though, I feel, because at the same time, we're going to start talking about capitalism now. <laughs> um, you do need to sell these games. And I think with, with some games, it might be easier to justify a sort of running narrative plot line uh, when you've got the sort of backing or you don't have uh, as high sales expectations as, as others. Or you, you kind of come up with ways to have a long narrative running thread without necessarily having, you know, being able to easily onboard people into the story um, I, I think of stuff like Nier, where you know you can play Nier Automata without playing Nier Replicant, or vice versa. You might gain more from having played each one, and after you play one, you're definitely going to want to play the other. Mm. <laughs> but uh, you don't have to play them to follow it. But to have a game like, say, you know, Mass Effect, or even you know stuff like Life is Strange, or the Telltale series, and stuff like that, where it's much more. Like we are making choices. There are things that are happening that are carrying through. That does come with the the baggage of as your production costs get higher and higher, as you make bigger and bigger games, you need to sell to more people. So you need to either somehow find a way to onboard people into the first game, convince them that they should play through the series, or you have to try and come up with a way to 
make it easier for people to jump on at say a mass effect two and then play through or jump on. I, I don't necessarily, and, and this is not me agreeing with that. This is not me saying that I like this because I do think that anyone who jumps into mass effect three is just playing a worse version of this series on purpose. Mm. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's the same thing as like, if you went to go watch return of the King Right. and you hadn't seen any Lord of the Rings movies prior. You're just like, I don't know. This this seems, I'm not really getting a lot of payoff, and a lot of these characters don't seem very deep or anything like that. And I'm like, yeah, because you didn't see that Merry and Pippin were just a, a, like really dumb dudes that accidentally ended up in this adventure mm. in the first one, and now they're like super cool and awesome and singing during a battle and all that. Um, so, yeah, I, I don't know. I'm, a, I'm of two minds about it, but I do think it gets wrapped up in the idea that, like, Mass Effect is not a small video game. You know, like, other games, that series that we've named here are relatively small compared to Mass Effect. Like, Zero Time Dilemma was, I mean, maybe like a 20-hour game at most, and it was fairly small compared to the open world like massive set pieces that are happening not even counting like the multiplayer and stuff that was being created for mass effect 3 so it always felt like it was going to run up against like the vision of the series was going to eventually run up against itself and its structure i feel like i feel some of that tension here in in the legendary edition especially the fact that we don't have multiplayer i wanted multiplayer Mm. (laughs) maybe one day Maybe yeah, one they said day. that with enough fan demand, they yeah. might consider putting it in, right? Yeah, that's that the teaser we're going to get in July. Yeah. Oh. They're going to turn those servers back on. <laughs> Maybe. I, I mean, put 300 hours into that, so I'm ready. I still, I actually bought it just before, well, not just before, but a little bit before Legendary Edition came out, just as a hype thing. Uh, I convinced several friends to just buy Mass Effect 3, don't own the <laughs> other ones, but just have hmm. Mass Effect 3 for the multiplayer. And we've gotten some really fun nights out of that. Like, it is still so good. Uh, so I would be super happy if... They're, they confirmed that, fun. like, in July there's something? At, no, uh, I'm just alluding to oh. uh, what the they, guy said earlier about, yeah. Yeah, you okay. know, potential crumbs. Okay, but potential it, it crumbs. is... Strange, well, not strange, but that multiplayer is oddly fun. Like, yep. you don't think of tactical mm-hmm. multiplayer games as a service shit that EA likes to do mm-hmm. as being fun or, you know, whatever. Mm. But that one was, like, really well done. Just the just the opportunity to play as other races and other yes. characters with yeah. this melange of, like, uh, uh, skills that you would get. And it's it's not like it's not like a get good kind of multiplayer, like your, your Overwatches or anything mm. like that or, like, Valorant or anything like that. It's just, like... It's a real, it's real short appointment gaming stuff that's actually like mm. really good, and the and you can customize your avatars and things like that. Like that shit was fun. I don't think I liked it uh, at the beginning that multiplayer was necessary right. to get like the best ending for the game. I mean, it wasn't necessary, but you had to do a lot of extra shit in order to get the good ending if you didn't play multiplayer. So a lot of people were like, "Yeah, no, fuck that. We'll just do mm. it." But um, I think looking back on it now, it's like, yeah, shit, yeah. I think Mass Effect multiplayer as it was um, back then implemented now would do a lot better than what people gave it credit for back then. Yeah. Like, I, I just, I think it would carry or hold up really well. Yeah. It's even more strange considering that Andromeda tried to emulate it and it just had an absolutely zero reception to it mm-hmm. compared to the Mass Effect 3 one. And for Dragon Age Inquisition, 
people tend to forget that it had a multiplayer <laughs> yeah. at all. I didn't. I remember that one. Yeah, it yeah. wasn't great. Like was I bad. played, I played a solid round of that, and I was like, and I was so hyped for it because I followed all of Inquisition's development and their updates and the marketing cycle and everything. So I was, I was pumped for it, and then I, I played one round, and I was like, wait, this isn't Mass Effect Three multiplayer. Uh, <laughs> I think there are some core things that Mass Effect 3 multiplayer did both with the features it had and the features it didn't have that made it work. Mm -hmm. So like, I think the reason, well, I mean, Andromeda didn't get a ton of latch on, I think, because people just didn't like Andromeda. Uh, but <laughs> also True. a lot of the stuff in that game is it has like the jumping around and boost moving and stuff like that. Um, and I actually think that works to the multiplayer's detriment in some ways because it's very good if you're in a single player setting and you want to feel like the mm. super awesome rider and all that. But I think when you're trying to balance multiplayer around it, it changes it a little bit. And also I just don't know that Andromeda had enemies that were so varied or interesting to yeah. fight. Uh, Mass Effect 3, like as I play through it and I do get, <laughs> I had a weird moment last night as, as I'm playing through three right now in the legendary edition. And I was playing some of the, the Ranok stuff and I was like, Huh, it's really weird that we only shoot the geth here like we're kind of really taking one side in this conflict and not really like helping the geth at all we're more kind of just harming the geth until they decide to capitulate and work with the koreans <laughs> but um at the same time i was like man that'd also be really weird if you know you help the geth murder some koreans <laughs> or something um and and the geth are kind of like an accepted enemy in the in the mass effect universe and that's a lot to take in but um like in terms of just actual enemy structure like the cerberus forces the reaper forces and the geth forces all brought very different things to the table they'd have different kind of armaments you'd have to deal with you know you'd be thinking about whether they'd have shields and organics versus armor and you know would you want the the tech abilities or the biotic abilities and uh, you had class combos, and they also got just really weird with some of the classes that you had in there. Like, I love the Geth that you can play as in Mass Effect 3 multiplayer. I think, isn't that the one that's so big it can't take cover or something like that? Yeah, or the Geth mm -hmm. um, might be the Geth Trooper, but yeah, it can't take cover. And I, I love that big boy. <laughs> oh, the Juggernaut. The Juggernaut, the juggernaut actually. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. I I, my boy. favorite to play was the Edie Bot. I called her Edie Bot because she was essentially Edie right. and mm -hmm. the N7 Fury. But um, one thing, and Mass Effect D multiplayer was just so good to play with friends. I don't know if y'all played mm. them, if y'all played it primarily as just like a single player but with friends um our favorite thing to do the group that i played with we would get into matches and we would all be pink voluses <laughs> um, like hot pink voluses so we would make sure that we covered different bases like one was uh a vanguard volus so that was probably me i was like shooting myself like a biotic cannon and everything and then someone else was <laughs> the engineer one um and it was just so fun to do that and to customize your bolus and mm. put like hot pig and just the way that you roll around because the boluses can't um they can't go undercover they just roll around or like go invisible <laughs> just the way that they injected mm. so much personality into all these different characters and races that you could play again just mm. making use of 
all of the diversity in the in the series mm. and doing right by all those sort of connections that you had already pre-established with right. those races through the actual yep. narrative I think was just such a such a great move and it's sad that it hasn't been replicated since and there is, there is a, a valid reason why people are clamoring for any crumbs uh, mm-hmm. on the multiplayer in 2021 it's still good it still holds up mm-hmm. a lot of Mass Effect 3 as we've come to know a lot of it doesn't hold up a lot of it still does as, mm-hmm. overall as a series yeah I had a so what do you uh, can you finish your thought? I was going to uh, say, I was gonna say like, the character I ended up playing as a multiplayer was the Solarian Engineer because what I would do is I would like I, I played the, the multiplayer you know kind of on and off with friends, but if I wanted to just get like you know my readiness up so I could play through the, the single player and get the end that I wanted, uh, I would play as the Solarian Engineer and solo like solo queue for a Geth uh, Geth run like a Geth. Uh, set of enemies because yeah. he had mm-hmm. energy drain which would always like recharge my shield every time I used it so I just tanked through like solo tanked through as a solarian mm. whole fucking <laughs> hordes of geth you could, you could play as n7s right yeah. yeah I think I liked playing as the n7 characters because I liked the idea that instead of it being Shepard's story now this was something that I could create for myself <laughs> you know yeah. you, you have a little bit of customization <clears throat> when you choose like their background and stuff like that and their their like their claim to fame or whatever with their uh, service record but a lot of that you have to like kind of fill in on your own mm. like your own little head cannons but with the with the n7 characters they were kind of like a blank slate yeah. mm-hmm. like you could do whatever you want with them and you know, may or may not have written fan fiction that I never published about this, you know, N7 candidate or whatever. <laughs> yeah. I, I, you know, everybody enjoys multiplayer, or, yeah, multiplayer, because, you, you know, it's the multiplayer, but, like, Ash is over here doing some lore <laughs> shit, because that's what she does. That's so yeah. good. I mean, one of the things I've been most excited about having Mass Effect come back is all the fan fiction. Oh, yeah. That mm-hmm. shit gonna be lit. Like, I am purposely waiting for uh, you know to give enough time to all the great writers out there to actually play through the series mm-hmm. and rediscover their love for the series again and like have the yeah. time to actually like think through what they want to write about but like in a month's time i'm going into that shikarian tag yeah yep. and yep. i'm just you know Explode. just gonna put the the settings exclude everything before 2021 and we going through <laughs> all <of> that <laughs> from <laughs> highest kudos to lowest kudos we're going there <laughs> love it but that i think that speaks to like why it could come back and be good and the weirdest thing is that you know like me3 multiplayer as it was back then was kind of the 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 canary in the coal mine for what was going to come in terms of multiplayer for the for the next few years because it had loot crates like that was one of the er loot crate games was mass effect 3 and and buying crates to get stuff and the weird thing is now i'm sitting here and the idea of a mass effect 3 multiplayer is exciting and i'm like what if they put in a battle pass what if i could go through the season and get cool skins what if you know you could unlock at like level 90 there's a tally skin for the Korean engineer and stuff like that and oh that's good the noise the, wor- the worst I'm part making. is I'm like yes yeah. I do that <laughs> I would like that. I'm gonna be exploited by EA I can <laughs> feel <Yeah>. it <laughs> I hadn't thought about that before and I'm thinking about it I'm like Oh, no. Like how we've all, you know, become inured to it now. Like this is this is 
we accept this as normal. Back mm-hmm. then, we did not accept this as normal, and we, mm-hmm. you know, we lost our shit about it. And it's like that frog in the boiling water. And now it's mm-hmm. like, okay, this is our life now. And just thinking about it, it's like I made this like physical like revulsion, <laughs> you know. And now it's like, no, that that makes sense. And God damn it, I play it. So I guess it worked. Good job, EA. <laughs> you, you wore me down, EA. You finally did it. Um, but yeah, I, I was going to say that like the, the whole idea of multiplayer is, is such a good thing. And it not being here is already one weird thing. But now it's also, that means that the numbers in Mass Effect 3 are a little bit different. Mm-hmm. And Ken, you and I were trying to math this out earlier mm-hmm. like we were trying to, to see if there's anyone out there that had math is have we found anyone who has done the numbers because last I night have not i was i was playing last night and when i beat rannick at like 4 30 in the morning Christ <laughs> and, um it, it popped up with an achievement and it was like you have acquired most of the possible war assets yeah uh, i remember that actually from the base game because that was like a weird thing i didn't know like it's it's a weird thing cuz like i don't i don't think that they've actually outwardly said like what the new like what the new math is and um all i know is that like i got enough to make the bar in the like the whole uh like in the war assets page like all the way filled so i just went in and was like okay i've covered all my bases i've done everything and so i'm pretty sure i can get the ending i want yeah and it's it's weird to think about that I mean, this is something that we know as Mass Effect fans. I mean, this is something that they were out there talking about. Like, you, you had to fill a bar to, to get, you know, be prepared for the Reapers, and it might change your decision. And now we know that it's like a bunch of math, and it's even more transparent because now, like, it's widely there are patch notes about the math, mm. <laughs> and it, like, you can even play in, you know, multiplayer is not in that game right now, but you can still play the missions that were basically faux multiplayer missions. Mm-hmm that in the campaign which just feels really weird now but um yeah i I, this is not me starting ending discourse to be clear we are not starting (laughs) the ending talk yet however do we think the war assets stuff holds up because i'm of like four different minds about it um i i like it it's it's cool it's a way of like you know showing a visible effect of what you have done in the universe and choices that you have made however and ken i know we've talked about this before uh it also feels like it turns story choices into gamifying the system in a way that i always feel weird about and it feels like the game calls attention to that at a few points, like with the, the Salarian Dolatros before the, the Genophage mission where it's like, oh, but you could get these assets instead. And there might be narrative justification for that in some ways, but then tying a number to it also just mm. makes it a different thing. And I, I don't know. How, how do we feel about the war assets in 2021? I think they're kind of silly. If you look mm. at other ways that Bioware have has ended games like that, like... Um, even just Mass Effect 2. Like, the, you mm. got your ending based on, you know, you did, it is a gamification because you have to do the loyalty missions for these characters, right? And, uh, and that's how you determine if you got the good ending or not. And then and even then, they, like, throw a kicker in there. It's like, oh, you got to make the right decisions, mm. though, in the heat of the moment. Otherwise, you might end up getting your people killed. So, like, there have always been ways to make... That Bioware have employed to make, you know 
make you have to work to get the good ending that haven't been tied to like filling a bar right like the same with dragon age the same with dragon age inquisition even like a, a contemporary almost contemporaneous game right uh it, it just it, it doesn't make sense to me that they would break with form for so for for that kind of mechanic like okay you gotta fill the bar mm. like i don't know if I I wouldn't do that again. It does feel pretty dated and feel, feels pretty bad. I guess I get what they were trying to do with that. Like I I guess I get it, but nah, they've done it better. Yeah. In other ways, I don't see why they did it this way for this game. And I wonder if that wasn't almost there, you know, to justify um, the multiplayer. You know. Mm. Yeah, that's possible. Yeah. Like I. Well, I was gonna say like, my my thought is that I feel like it, part of it just comes to, like they need to have or they maybe. Whether they felt they needed to have, like, they felt pressured to have, like, some sort of, like, in-game thing that people could point to to be, like, here is, like, the thing that quantifies my playthrough of this game or of the series. It's, like, mm-hmm. I have the higher number. And, because, like, I think, like, ultimately, like, there are there are decisions, like, you know, the, the Genophage stuff, which, like, the, the numbers go up, but also, like, that decision has wider ramifications to the world at large. Like, this cannot be quantified in a number. And... So it feels like they needed to have, they wanted to have a system that would at least, like, you know, like, let people have something to point to. Like, in the suicide mission, you can point to, like, a a completely living crew, and you're like, I did this. And here, they're like, in Mass Effect 3, they are trying to tie in so many different decisions, so many different plot lines, um, that they wanted to have something similar. And I think, you know, like, in terms of, like, what the number actually means, in terms of, uh, like, what it means for the ending, I think it, like, it makes sense, like, you know, you are gathering up a a force of like scientists and also soldiers and everything that it all that entails to ensure that this thing gets through like gets delivered safely and so like it does make sense like oh you if you have you know more war assets it's going to get there uh with like largely intact and you know so like it's, it's all the things that make sense but i do think like you like you said it, it does kind of gamify it and it does like it like it almost makes me wonder what would the reception to it have been if, like, all that happened in the back end? It was never, like, outwardly communicated to the player, short of, like, what happens in the end. Like, what, the, what is the state of the crucible by the time it's all over? I wonder if that would have been better. Yeah, I don't have strong opinions about it, besides thinking that it's silly as well. Um, ultimately, I always just saw it as... It, it exists... At least in my opinion, the way that I saw it is that it exists solely to get people to play the multiplayer... That's really just it. Um, I I might be wrong, but to me, it, it doesn't seem like they um, like considered this as a narrative mechanic. It was just like, hey, um, we would really like you to check this multiplayer, which is a banger. Um, so I get it. But yeah, play the multiplayer and maybe uh, give us some money through the loot crates. Mm. And um, yeah, and then you need that to finish the game and get the best ending. So... Yeah, that's kind of just my stance on it. I just just saw it <laughs> for what it probably is. It, and it does it, make it, it. I mean, it does make it just more questionable now. Like yeah. that the multiplayer yeah. is not in there. It's like what what does this serve? And honestly, like mm. until like somebody goes into the code of Legendary Edition can tell me like the tiers that are unlocking now. Like now that that sort of has, that rebalancing has apparently happened. Um, I don't really know if it, that it amounts to much anyway. Uh, because like I think. Grant, I was about to say, like, I think you just kind of like, just by playing the game, you get a lot of, like, enough to get most things. But then I was like, 
Then I'm, now I'm thinking back, like, oh, that actually wasn't true. Like, of people that I was playing this game alongside in 2012, like, I know a couple people that got, like, the bad ends, the ones where the Crucible, like, backfired and destroyed Earth. And, like... I didn't know it could do that. Yeah, that, 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 that's, like, the, the lowest tier of destroy ending. Is that, like, that's actually hilarious. Yeah, like, it, like it, and it, that's the thing. is like, if you, if you got the lowest tier of destroy ending, it would destroy the Reapers, but it would destroy Earth, on, like, in the same process. Oh, okay. Oh, it's I thought you meant it, like... funny. I thought you lie. meant, like, it was, like, a gun backfiring where, you know, like, if a gun you know, has something in, in the breach and it fires, it can, like, implode on itself. No, it wasn't like that. It was, like... <laughs> so I was picturing Hackett being like, oh, Shepard, we didn't have enough resources to clean the crucible before it got there. There's a little bit of dust in the rifling. No, like, so, so, like the idea is that, like, your war assets, like, you know, like, like, like I said, you're trying to have enough uh, resources that the crucible gets to the citadel intact. Right. And right. then, so, like, the, the extended cut epilogue of it all is, like, Hackett just being like, it wasn't fucking worth it. Like, we just destroyed everything that we were trying to save and <laughs> so yeah like you know there are those like I, I would like to know what the tiers of those are now without uh the multiplayer shit in it and because like i do think like, like again like it is like there is like a narrative on like i understand the narrative through line that they're trying to illustrate with that number but when it you know like even back then it was like gamified like you could import multiplayer characters to like raise that number up like not even the readiness quote-unquote that would like have it at like 50% like so everything only had a 50% value it was like mm-hmm. you could just look you could just put in enough multiplayer characters that you didn't even necessarily have to do multiplayer at all and yeah so that was just like a whole thing again like it, think- it's, it's, a, it's a thing in concept like I'm getting what you're going for but it just like maybe could have had a, a more elegant sort of integration just makes me think of Tetsuya Nomura right man yeah. doesn't like put cool things in the story just because he, like, in my opinion, um, just because he wanted to create them and then the story adapts them. Like, no, he just, like, puts shit in there and then he's like, okay, I'll make the story work around this bizarre mm. shit. <laughs> and I'll find a way to make it sort of work, but not really, and just, like, integrate mm. it that way. It's, like, not the foundation of the story, which, like, it's not send the foundation, which, I mean, yeah. Mm. I'm sorry, is this a reference to critically acclaimed MMORPG Final Fantasy XIV? Tatiana has nothing to do with fourteen besides designing okay. some character designs, like one character design for a character that <laughs> does have a good character design. But like that's all that I'll give him. This okay. is in reference <laughs> to Kingdom Hearts. Okay. I was worried. I was I was gonna say we're not gonna have any references to critically acclaimed MMORPG Final Fantasy fourteen on this podcast. You'll never find that from me. I'm trying <laughs> Nor me. <laughs> I, I've had more people in my life start playing it and it's spreading everywhere and I am trying to stay strong because it is June and there's no, a million things to do. You, you really shouldn't. Like Okay, June <sighs> I got it, but July you gotta start, dude. You do. <laughs> Take it from a like an avowed like MMO not person because yes. they don't wanna pick shit up that they know they're not gonna finish. If Final Fantasy fourteen is the shit that you're gonna finish. Yep. Anyway, we're we're not gonna derail this podcast. <laughs> well, no, I'm, I'm, How about Mass Effect? We're scouting for future <laughs> NFM seasons right now too. So. <laughs> oh, I don't think Ken's ready for a you, potential Final Fantasy no, fourteen season. No, no, not even gonna speak that into existence. Uh too late. But you would literally die. I think <sighs> you would actually die. It'd be great. Uh, yeah. So. The other weird thing that the war assets does for me uh, is that it like calls into focus 
one of the other weird things about this game, and I guess this is maybe how I can segue it into another one of our bullet points here, is that you have a lot of these missions where you meet old characters, especially Mass Effect 2 characters. Like, Mass Effect 2 characters in particular, this happens a lot. And you, you run into a mission, and they're there, and you're like, oh, hey, what's up? And there's usually, like, a thing that happens. Like, there's a conflict that they're, you're working with them to resolve. Um, in two specific cases, there are conflicts that have questionable lore standing um, that we can get into in a moment. But, uh, you know, you have, like, a check to see, oh, did you do their loyalty mission? Okay, they survived this. And then they're just like, yeah, cool, Shepard. I'll help you out in the war effort over there somewhere, not on the Normandy or anything. And then they just kind of disappear into, I liken it to like Pokemon where you catch a Pokemon just so you can fill the Pokedex and then you put it in Bill's box and you just forget about it. And now hmm. you've just got like a Pidgey in your box because you wanted a Pidgey. And now you've got a Jack in the box or you've got a Samara in the box because that was not an intentional Jack in the box pun. I'm sorry. <laughs> well done for not being intentional. <laughs> um, I realized that as I said it, um, but now like they just kind of show up and you maybe get like one conversation with them. That's just like, well, what were you up to while you were gone and what are you going to do now? And they always have some reason to not be around you. And so I guess on, on that note, like how do we feel about some of, because we talked before how this is a game of moments. This is definitely a game of moments that tie off certain character arcs, uh, mostly every character arc. And how do we feel about the way Mass Effect 3 handles that? Because I think for every Thane and uh, Miranda, you also have stuff like, that's that's kind of middling, like Samara. I'm not, I just played Samara's mission. I was not wild about it. Um, or, or even worse, you have like Jacob. Mm. <laughs> my, my thoughts Woof. with all the Jacob mancers out there. <laughs> um, how do we... Okay. Uh, how do we feel about how that stuff gets wrapped up? So I think the interesting thing about those kinds of, you know, those specific quests in Mass Effect 3 is that it decentralizes Shepard yep. from that narrative, mm -hmm. which I think is a good thing. Mm -hmm. Like, yes, the galaxy kind of revolves around Shepard because they're the savior or whatever, but the galaxy, in fact, does not right. revolve around Shepard. And these quests mm -hmm. illustrate that. Like... The uh, it makes sense to me that Samara isn't gonna you know come with you on the Citadel because she can be more effective coordinating the efforts on Thessia. Mm -hmm. Same with Jack. Same. Yeah. Maybe not so with Jacob. Poor man. <laughs> like, oh. oh, Jacob. Yeah. yeah. So like maybe not so with that. But like the the thing with Miranda and like chasing down Kai Lang and if she's loyal, like you can like warn her and he won't kill her or whatever. Like that just makes sense yep. like you you kick off your your shepherd is like this i don't know it's like rock in a pond or whatever like you kick off these ripples that go on and like you know have nothing to do with you anymore because you or you connect with these people in their lives at like one intersection and then that's it and, mm. and that happens normally and i think that this is it, it was these quests were like a good way to encapsulate that like not everything is about you shepherd right. like jesus yeah, mm -hmm. that's that. That was been my feeling as well. Just because, like, actually, like, I mean, with some exceptions, like, I, there are like some really meaningful things. Like, of course, it'd be like, of course, Jack would like. If she goes on to like, teach biotic kids, she doesn't want these kids to have to go through what she did. She's like using her trauma 
in a positive way to like kind of you know move forward with her life and also like ensure that that doesn't happen to anybody else and it's just like yeah like she's got other shit to do and like and I, I know a lot of that comes to like they are having to account for like some of these characters might not be alive for the suicide mission so like there are they're like you know logistics to why they do these mm-hmm. things but I also just think it, it makes a lot of sense to me for a lot of these characters to kind of be like hey what I'm doing is involved in the war effort I'm not just gonna like abandon you and be like I'm peacing out and this, like this, does, this doesn't involve me but like no, they've got their own lives, and that is especially especially for Mass Effect Two characters. I think that makes a lot of sense because, like, mm-hmm. you did just kind of like pick them up and like, hey, I got this mission, come help me, and they're like, okay, we did that, we've done the thing that we did, we're gonna do together. Um, keep in touch. I'll see you around. Um, and I do I do feel for like maybe some of, like the people that romance some of those characters that maybe don't get to have them like on the ship because like a lot of this like I am saying this as a person that my, my love interest is a natural Mass Effect Three squadmate who gets to be around. So I I guess I like have that to kind of. Um, so, like, it's very easy for me to say these things, but I also just think, like, a lot of people kind of, like, miss the forest for the trees when it comes to, like, characters that don't get to be on the ship. Like, Rex, for, for example, like, he isn't a squad mate because he's got way more important shit to, to do than hang out yeah. with you. Yeah. And, yeah. like, and yeah, it does suck to not have him on the squad again, but, you just, like, you know, you gotta, the world is bigger than the Normandy, even if it doesn't always feel that way to us because we're on it all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with that. I, I think my sentiment just more came from like, and, and I, I will say specifically, this came from both the Jacob mission and the Samara mission mm-hmm. in particular. The Samara one, I, I was, wasn't there a line in Mass Effect 2 where she says there's only three art at Yakshi? Yep. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, okay. Just wanted to and double check that one. Yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember like I was playing this and they were like, oh, it's a monastery. And they made all these banshees. And I was like, all three, two banshee no there's a bunch of them oh okay uh whatever uh we're just moving on from that but uh with (laughs) with her specifically like that one stuck out because it was like okay you come in you help her out you know you happen to meet up because you know the asari needed your help at the same time that samara was trying to go in and help and then she's just like no my justicar code demands that i go to the front line so i'll be there and i'll also be like fighting whenever you need help but I can't go now uh and, and I was thinking in my head I was like does does what Shepard doesn't he count as the he in my case but doesn't Shepard count as the front line like isn't that the mo- the most tip of the spear that you could be in this war and I I don't know it just felt like they needed a reason that Samara was not a squad mate at the end of that and I almost like I just wish there had been a better justification for some of the stuff but on the flip side as much as i don't like some most almost all of jacob's stuff in mass effect 3 um he does deliver one of the most devastating lines to shep which is you're you're talking to him while you're trying to get the scientists off world and he's talking about how he wants to like settle down and 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 have a family and like live with these people and care for them and stuff like that and and so you get the reason that he wa- he doesn't want to go with you isn't even necessarily like oh there's some narrative reason or just a card code why I can't do it but he's just like he doesn't want to be shepherd <laughs> and yeah he he straight up like delivers this line where he's like um where, where Shep is like oh I'd like to do that someday or something like I'd like to settle down one day and Jacob's like we both know you can't and mm. it's just like oh oh it's a gut yeah. punch mm. and other characters especially like tally and stuff can deliver similar things as well but um they do do a good job of highlighting that a lot of these characters had other things that they were fighting for um 
I, the Corian storyline is another good one of, of like pointing that out and showing how important the home world is to the Corians. But it, it, it does, again, I always come back to like, they, they have to find a way to like, oh, but also the Reapers. Like also here's, there there was a Reaper here and we got to shoot the Reaper with the targeting laser and stuff. Hmm. So um, I just felt like tying those knots off always like, came there there's friction between the fact that they were trying to wrap up so many large arcs in the universe at the same time as a potential extinction event was was occurring i don't know i've always felt like the reapers are more like the point where everyone's like oh there there there's a bigger issue than any of our petty squabbles that have like lasted all this time and it's like hey we need to get all this shit together and like some people are gonna be like oh no you're gonna fix your shit before we're gonna help you so like, i feel like contextualizing it within the reaper threat just always kind of worked for me and mm. um I don't know, because, like, I, and I honestly don't feel like there was really, for me personally, I didn't really feel like there was a friction, because I feel like they do, like, I mean, we haven't really talked about, like, the nuts and bolts of a lot of these yet, but, like, I felt like the Genophage, the Quarians, even, like, the Asari's kind of, like, superiority in, the in, like, the galactic uh, hierarchy, all these things, like, yes, they were in, in the context of, like, a Reaper invasion, but they were all fucking, per- like, kind of perfect, honestly, like, in terms of, like, mm-hmm. the, the way that they wrapped up and the choices, like, how they, like, put Shepard in the middle of it and, like, made those choices something that you could interact with and, like, something that you could actually, like, have an impact on. Because, um, like, I, straight up, like, Tuchanka, that, like, and, and Renok, and short of Kyling, Thessia, like, all, like, really stellar, like, closing off of, like, and it, not even, like, clean closing off of things. Like, the Thessia stuff, especially, it's kind of like, oh, like, the leadership of the Asari has come forth and been like, hey, we've been kind of uh, doing, like, we've, we've been holding ourselves above everybody because we have, like, the resources to do that and like have been hiding it away even though it's technically illegal in council space for us to hide Prothean technology but we've been using that like we've been having we've been using that to have like you know a major discovery every century or so that like puts keeps us ahead of everybody just like yeah it's all like it is all in the context of the reapers but like nothing like ever feels secondary in my opinion Mm. i don't know if anything ever feels secondary per se i just i i have moments where i'm like Oh yeah, we're gonna go cure the Genophage. Heck yeah! By the way, a Reaper touched down there. Oh, okay. This is just like a Reaper. Like, do they know that we're curing the Genophage? Why aren't they sending more than a single Reaper? Why they put one Reaper on this? Like, I, I, it, it's just those are the parts where it reveals the most to me that they're like, man, it'd be really cool if you were trying to run towards this tower and a Reaper was shooting a laser at you, and that's maybe just where it runs up against it for me. Um, because if they know, whatever. I'm not gonna like cinema since this, but, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's that. That's just the thing for me. But on, on the flip side, I'll say something positive. Like, and I, I tweeted about this and all that. Like, the the Thane shit still hits real, real big. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. Still the, made you cry, bro. It, it, I was on a I was on a call with with nobody in here. I was I was vibing in another Discord and. I was legitimately starting to choke up a little bit <laughs> watching that part. And it wasn't it wasn't even the oh his prayer was for you part. It was the part where Thane like starts coughing and mm-hmm. can't finish the prayer and Kolyat picks it up and starts reciting and Thane is like, Oh, you've been you, you speak yeah, you've like been the keeping. priests do. Yeah, 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 yeah. And I was like, that's such a touching moment where he's like Oh my my son like cares enough about not just carrying forward like me but like also like he cares about the things I care about and wants to preserve that part mm-hmm. of me as well. It's just 
choked me up a bit. It's choked yep. me up a bit now. That's <laughs> it's, beautiful it's because really, like you've I'm seen this scene so many times <laughs> and something different about that hit for you. Like I imagine before the part that made you emotional was the whole the prayer was for you thing. Yeah. And years later, it's another part of that scene. It just mm. it speaks to how well it holds up. Like this really has some of the best writing that mm. Bioware has ever done, in yep. my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Like Ken said and wrote on rantfanbite.com, um, <laughs> it's all credit to the fact that these stories are continuously developing and mm. have been developing over several entries. There's no way that they would be this emotionally powerful without that. But, I mean, they did that. Like, they could have fumbled mm-hmm. doing right by these characters and these bonds and in some ways they did um the way that thing dies is fucking ridiculous still mm-hmm. um but in a lot of ways they they did it in the moments that it matters i i largely think that they nailed it mm-hmm. and there was so much love for these characters and such a great understanding of what makes them so loved right so yeah, I haven't gotten into Mass Effect 3 Legendary Edition. I'm still on Mass Effect 1. June is a lot. June yep. is just a lot for Games Press. <laughs> Please um, hold a prayer for your Games Press members. But um, yeah, I, I'm taking my time with this. I'm finding that I'm trying to, you know, have it last as long as possible because I don't want to end it. Because mm. then that means like, oh, I'm going to have that sinking feeling again after i originally yep. finished mass effect 3 of like wow i hope i'm alive for whatever <laughs> is next in this mm. because this is you know it, it sounds super cheesy to say it but there are a lot of things specifically like mass effect 3 um uh-huh. you know just games that really touch you on a personal level or experiences in general that touch you on a personal level um when you experience a certain type of media that it's like we could have been born at any point in the universe and that I was born at this exact moment in the universe, the small sliver window where I could experience something like Mass Effect 3 and connect with it in the way that I did. And not just that, but be able to re-experience it like this Mm -hmm. several years later again. Um, That's like life-changing shit. That's like once-in-a-lifetime kind Mm -hmm. of shit. Um, You can't replicate that. And so I totally... I totally get it, Eric, why you uh-huh. cried even though you were in a Discord call with other people. I wouldn't play Mass Effect 3 while being in a call with other people. I'd be too emotional. <laughs> Don't look at me. That's, <laughs> yeah. that's what I'm saying is I think, I think I'm ready to handle it, and then I'm, just, I'm not. And, yeah, like, different stuff hits different. every like So this time, this run through, I romanced Liara in the first game because I'm a weak man, and then I swapped to Tally in 2 and 3, and some of the stuff where you have to like break it off with Liara and Mass Effect 3 and be like, I think we should just be friends. I, I've i found Ooh. somebody else. And she like she even makes like a joke about it. she's like, are you looking to uh, to find a home world for Miss Foss Normandy and all that? Like she's kind of teasing you and then you're like, yes, Liara, that that is the the Quarian I care about. <laughs> you and I are done. And she's Dang. like, oh, OK, well, I'm going to go spy on all your communique now. <laughs> um, but it, it like, I talk, I've talked a lot previously about how I think one of the potential pitfalls of any Mass Effect playthrough is the inclination to want to play perfectly 
and, and, you know, like save every possible person mm. and see, you know, like the best, the quote unquote best I can. I know this, you've, you've talked about this before, like the idea of the best, the perfect playthrough, the canon playthrough. And it, I think you missed some really good writing if you don't do that, because there is some bleak, terrible, sad shit in this game that you don't get to see if you just go through like hitting all the check marks and doing the same thing. And like, also I saved Caden this time. This is the first time I've had Caden in Mass Effect 3. And guess what? Caden's oh. a good character. Ken wasn't making it up. <laughs> <laughs> I can now You've say- You've been co-hosting this I mean, podcast. when the alternative is Ashley, <laughs> like, you know, yeah, uh, that's a little bar clear. But, uh, but Caden, like his arc in three fits the mood of this game in a way that I think even the characters that were made to be in this game, like Vega and stuff, do not necessarily do. Like, Caden struggles. Caden is, like, this, re- like, almost reflection of, of what Shepard would be if Shepard wasn't so, like, determined to throw themselves into the fire every time. Like, Caden's like, what if we die? What if we all just mm. fucking die? And how do we know that we're making the right choices? And how can you make choices when you don't know what's going to happen on the other side? And you just kind of have to be like yeah, well, we got to do it, Caden, because that's what we're here to do. And and we got to do this. And it becomes a really cool sounding board throughout the campaign, whereas Ashley's just like, guess what, Shepard? I learned that blanket racism is bad, so now I'm only specifically racist. <laughs> and, yeah, I was going to yeah. say, like, mm. I absolutely got your point, and I was just telling Ken before this podcast that I'm planning on saving Caden this time around instead of Ashley, which I have done before, but, like, I'm trying to model this as, like, my ultimate canon TM playthrough, <laughs> so just gonna make it that way. Um, but, Eric, you are using, again, you're using Ashley as a bar, and then you're using Vega as the secondary <laughs> bar, and Vega is, like, one of the worst written characters in the series, in my opinion, because he's just such a horrible caricature of like latino stereotypes but he's like he's a little lovable but like not quite lovable enough for me to be like ah it's just endearing like so you're using pretty low bars here in my opinion well i mean to be the other hot spicy take i have playing mass effect 3 right now is that this is far and away my least favorite like like squad mate lineup of the three games like i you know it's that's the Ooh. other bar. It's not like, yeah, we've got Garrison, Tally, and Liara. Like, that's great. And the others are like, I don't know. I, Caden. I literally could fine, not tell you who the other ones are. Like, Javik, all I did. Caden, oh, Edie, okay. Um, is that it? Vega. Yeah. I don't, like, yeah, I don't. Every time I open that lineup, I'm just like. I'm I'm swapping between the same three characters depending on whether like what type of enemies I'm fighting. But I don't even do that. <laughs> Fuck that. It's yeah. Garrison Tally all the way through because you're right. They absolutely suck. Javik is okay, and I never. But I never really cared for Liara as a squad mate anyway. Mm-hmm. Like, <laughs> sorry. Oh, her, her biotics are really good. Her biotics are really really good. Hmm. I don't know. Like, I, sure. I I, I, hard, I have a hard time saying that Mass Effect Three is my least favorite squad because like yeah I think. Like if you talk about like Vega, honestly Vega is the only like really uh, sort of standout not great person in my opinion. I do uh, feel I like, don't like Edie either. But... What's that? <laughs> I don't like Edie either. Well, <laughs> well okay. So what my what my point was like you know you have Garrus, Liara, Caden, 
tally. And I feel like those four, like, you know, the are kind of like the, the returning uh, Mass Effect 1 squad mates, I feel like you're getting the best versions yes. of them in this game, for yes. sure. Like, that, like especially like compared to 1 and 2 for almost all of them. Um, so, like, yeah, like, there's Vega, who is, I think, like, you know, the, the, on the very low bar, like, you know, he's the lowest bar here. But I just don't, I don't know, like, I, I feel like I got the best versions of my favorite characters in Mass Effect 3. Yeah, I, I hadn't thought about that before, actually. Like, in terms of which Mass Effect has... I, I know that Mass Effect 2, or at least in my opinion, and largely the majority opinion, is that it has the best squad mates in terms of the people that you take out on the battlefields. But in terms of, like, Mass Effect 3 or Mass Effect 1, I'm having a hard time, because, like... Mass Effect 1 has Ashley, but it has Rex, and you don't have Rex in any other game. Mm. Yeah, it's a hard one. I I think the problem for me is just that whenever I pick these characters, and maybe this is also like, you know, their powers are, are kind of overlap in a lot of ways and stuff, but mm-hmm. I I just feel like not only does it feel like there's a small selection, especially compared to two, but two had characters that were much more like they had a distinct flavor to what they did. Like yeah. You had Kasumi, who, like, she had this whole setup, like, the Shadow Strike stuff and all that that was really cool and unique and interesting. And you had these characters who had very... And, you know, you also had, like, the distinct, um, like, signature abilities and all that that you were unlocking after each loyalty mission. And I think that stuff just made each character stand out a little bit more. And obviously, they were designing the characters to be very specific and distinct. So that way, when you got to the suicide mission, you know, it would be, like oh, okay, well, this character is clearly the best suited for this, and so this is where I should send them and stuff like that. But um, I felt with three, I was just opening that squad mate thing every time, and I was like, okay, well, we've got Edie's body, I guess, whatever. I kind of wish that was Legion instead. <laughs> um, and, you know, we've got Vega, who I have never taken Vega on a mission after the Literally game stopped never. forcing me to. <laughs> never. Um and I think the part of it is also just like I I only want to hear some of these characters interact and I don't want to hear all of these characters interact necessarily. And so maybe that's also part of it is that I was more interested in one. I was curious to hear, you know, how different what different dialogues would happen and all that kind of stuff. But uh, and with two, you had a lot of very different characters and obviously their battle styles were very different as well. But with three, you have this weird mix of characters you know and love and you'd like oh yeah i totally want to like hear caden and liara catch up about the old days as we go through this mission and you're like or i could bring Edie, and Edie doesn't really do any of that Uh, javik javik honestly does not have very interesting like mission dialogue most of the time like i've Mm -hmm. been trying to bring him on a bunch of missions because i think he's cool and i give him the the collector not the collector beam the particle rifle or whatever he does cool stuff but also a lot of the time he's just like oh yes the salarians they used to eat flies i'm i'm a prothean we we (laughs) rule they they all suck these were all Mm. primitive species we're awesome Mm -hmm. and like i i don't know it's just i feel like there's four really good characters here and then the other ones I just don't care about. And and for a game that's supposed to be kind of a capping off, it was like, I don't know. This is maybe this is my big ramp up to saying why is Vega in this game? <laughs> they needed. No, you're right. Well, I mean, they needed characters. They they would be sure the player would have. Because like again, like 
Gareth, Tally, Caden, slash Ashley, uh, like all, like half of the squad can be dead. Like they need to, well, like, they need to go like, the number thing. You're always going to have Vermeer, Survivor, and Liara, right? Liara cannot die. Vermeer, Survivor can die if you fail the coup. Oh, right, in the coup, right. Um, I thought there was another character that, well, I mean Edie. But, yeah. um, so I mean, can, can we? We've mentioned her a few times. Can we talk about Ed for a second? Because like, yeah, let's talk about Ed. It's and um, Joker like and that storyline. Something that is like really like just like with age, it's like you know, come to my attention. Why is Ed the character that gets hate for Joker being horny about her? Because uh, that's how does I she functions with fandoms. Because that's always just, like I, I, I was watching that first scene like when Ed first gets in the gets in the body and she's sitting there at like on the front on the front deck and joker like like frames her in his fingers and like makes all these comments and i'm like how do you get through this game and think the woman who's literally just sitting there vibing is the problem how is joker's reputation not the one that has been fucking ruined by this game where edie's has was edie's i don't remember that being discourse oh wait i i definitely did when i i lived on the bioware forums and it was an awful thing and like even i even still see it like kind of in passing today like we still haven't reached the point i guess in like where everyone is playing these games we haven't reached mass effect 3 discourse yet but it was things i've, I've even seen people say like even leading up to legendary edition and i was just like man like everyone makes the, like makes the comments about like how she's a sex bot now and I'm like she literally is just fucking standing there like she didn't granted like the, like the whole joker 80 relationship i think is kind of uh it's a little weird because like you know they frame it in like a very strange way like that like, Edie's trying to, like, figure out what it means to be, you know, a person that lives in a, a community of, like, you know, rest of organics, and she just, like, she has a comment, like, where she's trying to, like, almost, like, in an experiment, try to figure out how to make Joker be in a relationship with her, just because, like, she is trying to figure out that particular part of uh, being an organic and, like, that, you know, that part of experience, but I don't know, like, it was, it's just... It, it's it's the reaction to Edie was weird to me that all those years ago, and that that kind of like that that's like what people talk about when it comes to Edie in Mass Effect Three has always been weird to me because like she's you know a character who is grappling with what it means to be a synthetic that has that can think for herself in the midst of a an army of synthetics trying to destroy all organics like she is going through it in this game, but everyone mm-hmm. talks about how she can fuck Joker. I think the weird part for me, and I was thinking about it again while I was playing the coup section, and we have that part, Ken, as you will remember, where Kai Lang gets in his getaway car, and he's got one of those mech bot things in there that you fight a, a dozen of, dozens upon dozens of in the course of the series, uh, but this one has a female body for some reason. And I think I made the joke on Normandy FM at the time, like, of course, Kai Lang would be like, make sure you get me the robot driver that's hot or something like, get me the hot lady bot. Um, and with, with Edie, I think it does come down to that a little bit because this is like the chassis that they have constructed is clearly different from every other robot body that we've seen thus far. And it is like a female body that joker immediately begin like not even joker like everybody on the ship like chocolate makes a comment about it trainer i actually <laughs> trainer's stuff about Edie is actually hilarious uh i love mm. the line that she has where she's like if i knew you were an ai i wouldn't have made so many comments about your voice or whatever mm-hmm. <laughs> but that's because trainer's fantastic um but uh 
specifically that I think her her appearance isn't just a thing that happens, but also that like when determining her you know existence and what it means to be an AI, she never interrogates the idea that she is inhabiting a female body and or or like that body specifically versus a different chassis like why doesn't she switch into a different more combat ready mech if she wants to be out in the field and all that um and i think there's just a lot of unexplored potential that you could have done with Edie in that in that realm of like interrogating both what it means to come into a sense of self of of ai self and in becoming a quote-unquote living organism versus being a vi or whatever but also what that means for like how do you talk about yourself what are you specifically and i think a lot of it gets immediately shuffled into this romance plot line where joker's like oh it's, you know it's Edie's my my dream girl this is so great but is it going to work out is this just like a fleeting fantasy or whatever you have that whole conversation with him at the bar and you end up talking to Edie a lot uh, about some of that stuff, but a lot of it gets tied up in oh, how what what date should I take Joker on and stuff like that. And, well, and uh, I would have liked to have seen more of that from Edie and more of that exploration of what Edie's existence means. You know, maybe in well, comparison to Legion, because with Legion, they co- they correct Legion at one point. I actually I played this mission last night where uh, you're you're talking with Tali. And somebody refers to Legion as him and Tali corrects them and says like, no, Legion is we or it. It's not like you are not understanding what Legion is. And I was surprised that never came around to Edie. Well, because it, I mean, it does though. That's, that's something that happened. Like, and maybe this is because like, I always take the route of like, I tell them not to be in the relationship because like, I think the framing of it, even in game, is like, just like, it feels like they, like the characters are in, like they're in it for different reasons. And so I'm just like, hey, maybe just fucking quit it. And then so like Edie does have like instead of conversations about what she what she should do with Joker, like okay. she's having these things. Like even in the scene in Purgatory where like after you've told them to get together and like they sit at the table together, you go sit, t- sit with her and then she's like, I am not like I'm not like part of a species or anything. I am like a very singular thing in this world, and I'm trying to figure out what what that means. What can I? What do I decide for myself? And so, like, I think it's, it's a weird thing for people to be like, why did she only talk, or, like, why did she talk about this relationship with Joker? And I was like, well, why did you tell her to get into the relationship if you thought it was going to be a problem? That's fair. That's fair. I, I do, and ironically, I, I noticed some of this because I was looking up, like, what are my responses for, for certain things if I want to be a Paragon Chef versus a Renegade Chef? And I was seeing a lot of people online when they talk about this this series and especially three in particular where you want to make certain choices and people are still worried about like top option paragon bottom option renegade so i don't think there's any paragon points assigned to to that stuff or or morality points assigned to that stuff i'm not Mm. sure but i think there is also an element of that like if you've been playing a paragon ship you're going to want to go that direction instinctually um which i will say like the way they handle paragon renegade in this game i think is the best they did it yep. in the trilogy yep. in terms of having reputation with a flavor rather than like having overall like this is how much of each one you've done and this is the scale and all that but I, I don't know it's interesting yep. I don't like bringing ED on missions though 
I mean, I, I like in the in the Cerberus base when you have to bring her. Like, I was like, oh, I guess I should start assigning points that don't bring her on any missions because like I just yeah, yeah. There there are characters that fill her role better in combat. So yeah, yeah. Um, but I don't know. Is is there anything else we want to talk about before we talk about the ending? Because we're gonna have to talk about the ending. But is there anything else we want to talk about before we get there? Combat good. Before we get to that canard. You get to what? That that big, you know, the ending discourse. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. boy, I'm excited. <laughs> Might uh. as well get into it. Yeah. So. Well, I mean, I we mean... do. Do we want to touch on real fast the Shushanka and Renok things? Just because, like, we. Oh did, yeah. We kind of like didn't get again. We didn't get to the nuts and bolts of it, but um, I think those two fucking arcs whip so much ass. They're like, very good. They're very very good. Yep. It's good shit. Yeah. There's little else to say for me, at least. (laughs) Like, they're just two of the best parts of the game and the series overall and Bioware's history overall. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. Just like, Uh, and it, it, like, when we've been saying, like, all these characters, like, they have these trilogy long arcs, but, like, those are, like, you know, world building trilogy long arcs. And just, like, I'm really amazed that they managed to find, like, places to slot Shepard into those conflicts and, like, facilitate change in ways that were uh, I mean like they can be fucking war crimes but like they feel like in line with like the Paragon Renegade uh, sort of morality system that they've established and that like paradigm of how you make decisions and why you make those decisions and um, like you know I don't like I would never like take the sabotage to cure but I think I'm surprised that they found a way to make that possibility like make sense in the like the structure of like decision making that they have done in these games and you know really uh, allow it to play into past uh, choices because, like, there are so many ways that can unfold that are determined by shit as early as Mass Effect 1, like, in ways that make Morden and Rex's lives, like, kind of mutually exclusive in a way that is just, like, something that, like, like the idea of sealing Morden's fate in Mass Effect mm-hmm. 1 is just, like, this, like, something that really sticks with me in terms of, like, choice and consequence. And, um, yeah, I'm just, like, I fucking love those conclusions to those arcs and then just like they still fucking get to me even like when i was playing this time i was like yep uh-huh. had to have been you morden yeah i um especially when i got to ranok and i think the thing that sticks out to me a little bit about ranok is you have a, a couple missions to like go onto the home world before you even do the big one mm-hmm. and i there was something that just hit me about it where it was you, you talk to one of the Koreans from one of the civilian ships that goes down when you're trying to rescue chorus and uh, he's like, he's bleeding out and you offer Omnigel or Metagel and, and he's like, no, I've lost too much blood. Just, you know, tell my son, mm-hmm. you know, his father made it to the home world. And yeah. like that, that moment I just got, got punched me. <laughs> yeah. That, that moment got punched me a little bit. Cause I was like, damn, you know, it's like, it's, this is, I I've said before that I think the Korean stuff is just some of my favorite stuff in the game. And I think they really, go for it in some of these places like when Tali explains to you like the meaning of Kila Salai mm. and um and how this has just been something that her people have wanted for forever like not just you know like not just not living in a migratory fleet anymore but having an actual home world again and also like the the turn that Tally has over the course of the series from you know she hates the gap mm-hmm. in in one and just wants to destroy all of them and by three you know if you have 
you know, done the loyalty missions and, and made peace between her and Legion and stuff. She's really come around. And the idea that like the Geth can, you know, reconnect with the creators and all that and work together again. And oh, the Geth, Geth fighter squadron is one of the most underrated missions mm. in all of mass effect. It is significantly good, even though it's really dumb that you have to like shoot things to hack them right. and all that. Um, but uh, like learning the history of the Geth and seeing uh, their creation, their turn, and just oh, it's it's very very good. The the part where it's highly implied that Legion was one of the first right. Geth to like fight back against the Corian because they're like oh that was an agriculture model. It was defending some of the other like lesser intelligent domestic models, and Shepard's like oh, that gun, that sniper rifle that that unit was using looked really similar to yours. And, and Legion was like, it is an efficient model. And then yeah. just like mm. leaves it there. <laughs> I'm like, mm. oh my God. Oh, and Legion's the best. Oh, I love Legion so much. Yeah, it's all great. Were there any other, like, w what are some of the high points of three for you, Ash? I think it's actually not in the game does anybody remember the cerberus news network or the yeah. alliance news network yeah, yeah. yeah remember how you would log into the game and you would get little like um like little news mm -hmm. updates yeah i think the thing with emily wong yeah. about mm. i think um either that was something that happened like that was before the game like that was um like some kind of twitter thing that bioware ran or something like that but i don't i don't remember if you got those messages like in game or how you got that that little story about emily wong and how like she runs a ship into a reaper like kamikaze mm -hmm. style like uh, I, I I think those little things um, those little really tiny world building things that you would see like either in loading screens yep. or at the beginning of the game were like really good just like not often talked about that I don't know if Mass Effect 3 and 2 have in the, in right. the legendary edition because I haven't gotten there yet um, I don't know if they're still there but yeah like you could you could read those stories and stuff like that and i thought those are really neat yeah, i don't think they are come to think of it i don't think that there's any way to access that in legendary edition so i guess some people are gonna be like wondering what happened to emily wong they're just not gonna yeah. know yeah i was wondering that while playing i was like we get the the other journalist the one that like people are really fucking eager to punch i guess um mm. especially journalists it's weird seeing them yeah. be like gung-ho about punching journalists, but okay, mm -hmm. you know, just live your truth. Mm -hmm. But <laughs> <laughs> throwing shade on the round table today. <laughs> um, but, uh, and, and then you have Diana Allers, which is still maybe one of the weirdest parts of Mass Effect 3 to me. Um, mm. I, I've never been a huge fan of we put a real person in a video game. Like, for some reason, if there's, actors and stuff it's a little bit different in my mind but like we picked a like famous content creator and put them in the game always just looks weird and jarring to me in any game that does it um even stuff like la noir and all that but um it's it's extra weird here because it's just like oh hey here's this person you can just add and Oh, you can have like a fling with, I guess, or mm. I don't, I've never even followed that path because I've always thought it was just real weird and creepy, but yeah, I was like, Oh, Emily, Emily's the one I like. She, she had a cool story. Where is she? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Oh, Nat, what yeah, about she you? died. Oh, she died. Oh, mm, for Nat, me, high points. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I would say going back to earth, 
and the Citadel DLC, but for me it was like that quiet walk where you talk yeah. to all of your squad members and you get to call the ones that aren't on your squad, mm-hmm. mainly from Mass Effect 2. Um, it's such a... It's relatively quiet compared to all the sort of... Like we've mentioned before, Mass Effect 3 is just... You go from point A, point B, like the action doesn't stop. It's It goes like full throttle from beginning to end and i think that's one of the few moments in the game where you are just before the end of everything you are sort of allowed and given time to reflect on your bonds with these characters mm-hmm. and those speeches yeah. that were written are some of just the best yep. writing bioware has done mm-hmm. to this day like Absolutely. i not even just like me being biased about you know telling Garrus that I'll meet him at the bar and talking about mm-hmm. having oh, babies no. or something, but just talking to Jack, seeing her yeah. evolution. I think oh. that was also a really high point for me. Um, just seeing the way that these characters have grown. Jack yeah. grew in a way that really affected me. Um, just seeing how, you know, it the way that they made her grow wasn't in from an angle of like trying to soften her up it was just her growing as an individual mm. and like realizing the importance of community and learning the importance of community in her life especially given her background um miranda mm. finally overcoming her struggles with her father and yeah. all that she went through just to make mm. sure that her sister was safe um there's you know she's a character that is routinely perceived as cold by both people in the game and in the fandom in the real world but she is one of the warmest characters in the series in my opinion Mm. um just yeah i think i think that walk at the end which i guess will make a good segue to the ending (laughs) talk (laughs) coincidentally but those speeches i i cried so much through each of them like so bad that the next day when i woke up it was like i woke up and i went to say good morning to my mom and she just straight up told me you look like shit i was like (laughs) i was like yeah i do thanks for noticing and it was because i had been sobbing throughout all those speeches i think i was so caught up in the what actually happens with the ending and you know seeing everything in the moment that i didn't really cry while experiencing the endings it was that moment of solitude with those characters right before that ruined me (laughs) entirely so yeah Yeah. that's a high point of that game for me yeah like i i had like two specific like really standout moments in that because like one was the the caden one obviously because duh but like i really appreciated that um there's like an angst to that conversation that like i'm I'm a sucker for sad shit i'm a sucker for like sad angsty romances and so like when the whole the whole time he's like trying to like convey to shepherd like i need you to understand that like the life i've had i would not have had without you and i'm like he, he like it, as you're walking away, he has this moment. He's like, I haven't been to London before. Like then, like at, even at that moment, he's still like taking in experiences, like things he hasn't had hasn't had a chance to do. And like now, he's just like, you have been this person in my life that has brought me so much, and I am. I just hope that there's more time that we're gonna have together, even though it really feels like there's not going to be. But the second one was actually Miranda, who like you know she's on one of those uh, on this like video call, and throughout like you know the entire trilogy, she's been like. She's been very all with it. She's got a. She needs to get the job done. She's very confident in what she's gonna do. But she is the one of those conversations that you can have on like the, the terminal, where she's like the first only one, the only people to really acknowledge like, like not get like given to bravado. Like hell yeah, we've got this. And she's like, I want to say goodbye in case I can't later. And I was like, yeah, mm-hmm. like that was 
those two were like some of the standout moments, like other than like the Garrus one and the Liara one as well, actually. Um, which I think is something that actually uh, like we can touch on real fast. Um, something that like, I really enjoyed about the Liara one, like she like shows us her memories and like of our relationship. I love that like they don't actually show you any of these things. Like when she's like you're in that sort of like mind space, because I like the idea that like everyone has had like you know a different relationship with Liara or a different relationship with most of these characters and can like kind of just envision that like what they're seeing of like their memories like what they remember of the, the relationship, um, instead of, like, the game sort of, like, showing you, a, like, a very specific, like, you know, flashback or, right. you know, a series of memories, and just, like, kind of lets you, you know, project whatever you want to onto that moment. Yeah. yeah. That, that final walk hits pretty hard. Um, Citadel also hits really hard mm. for me, um, both Your last conversation with Anderson. Forgot yeah. about yep. that. Yep. Yes. Yeah. <sighs> I was gonna get there like, because we we had yet to reach the end, but yeah, oh, that well, yeah, um, basically yeah. The way just they, the way that yeah, like the way that he just like says like you're sitting down because you know you're both tired, you both just got mm-hmm. your ass beat mm-hmm. by Tim, and he's like you did good, child, mm-hmm. and I'm like okay, thanks, space dad, I love you so much. <laughs> like me growing up with issues of like needing to be told that I, someone is proud of me <laughs> to be like yeah. Yeah, that shit. That um, shit hit the spa. <laughs> what always what always got to me about that scene is like he says I'm proud of you and then he's like then Shepard says thank you, sir, but like he's already gone before Shepard can yeah. even say it. Yeah. Just like the little yeah. touches. I do Leaving him uh on Earth for the first mm-hmm. time when you know, Shepard is like, Hey, come with us and he's like, No, nah, I'm needed here uh, and just like leaving him behind yeah. Like, without the knowledge, like, shit, is he going to be here when I get back? Will Earth be here when I get back? Mm-hmm. That kind of thing was, like, that didn't hit the first time playing that game, but, like, the second mm-hmm. time, like, oh, shit, that's mm-hmm. tough. Yep. Because it kind of it's kind of like a nice bookend to Mass Effect 1, where it's like, okay, uh, Anderson is supposed to be the one in charge right. of the Normandy, right? And mm-hmm. he gives it over to Shepard because mm-hmm. he's like, I'm needed here. And then you have this opportunity where, like, you can, like, maybe, I guess, correct that. By having Anderson, but it's like no, I, I this was never for me, mm. even though it was originally for me. It's always been for you. That kind yep. of shit is like, oh, mm. shit, yeah. that hits different. Mm-hmm. I do oh, love shit. the two military space dads that you have throughout the course of three between Anderson and Hackett. Just like mm. this game would feel a lot more dire if you didn't have those two to always be there and be like, it's okay, Shepard. You know, it's, it turned out a little rough, but you got this. You know, we'll keep moving forward. The stories. Stories are keeping everybody back home going. I'm just, oh, yeah. I love Hackett. I love Anderson. They're great. Mm. Yeah, and to segue to the ending discussion, oh, no. um, I will say that also a high point for me that I don't think these moments get talked about enough. Um, understandably, maybe because they were included only in the extended um, DLC cut, but like that small moment between when the i'm not sure how to explain it probably but when you're on earth and you're about to head into the catalyst and Mm -hmm. um all this action is happening and you reunite with your love interest Mm -hmm. that final time each speech is so well written um but there are different layers to each speech like i mean garris has always gets to me because um just the way that Shepard talks um, to him in that 
the sequence. I mean, Jennifer Hale, that's the story that she goes around and tells everyone, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's why I asked her, you know, why did it hit you so hard on 99 Potions, the most recent, ep- well, not the most recent episode, but like a recent <laughs> episode we did with Jennifer Hale. Um, you should go listen to it. 99potions.com. Real plug. But she just goes around any interview that she does, she will very likely tell you about how she actually cried during that recording and that's the take that they used and Mm. so the emotion that you Mm. hear in Shepard's voice when she's talking to Garrus is entirely real it is just like Mm. not orchestrated it is genuine from Jennifer Hale herself Um, but I I think a lot about Tollies even though I've never played as bro Shep and have thus never romanced Tolly because curse Mm -hmm. y'all Bioware or like (laughs) just anyone who made not buy Tolly um but just I I remember how touching it is when um I don't remember exactly like the lines but I do know she tells Shepard you are my home because mm-hmm. um, Shepard tells her to go find uh, to go back home essentially right. like get out of here go to safety and return home and she tells him you are my home mm-hmm. though and yep. something along the lines like that and that has always stuck with me I'm like ooh like they yep. really such a small moment but yep. they did everything that they needed to accomplish in that really small window of time and yep. that's just incredible writing you know yeah, that that um that scene for Caden and male shepherd specifically because like the way that they ended up they kind of they cut out like half of the scene in the romance scene for male shepherd and Caden because like i guess they didn't want to animate it to make it not look ridiculous with a man sitting like on top of another dude just because like the animations they had set for them shep were like very clearly like that like for her they mm-hmm. were, because they had cut that out male shepherd and Caden had not had an on-screen i love you yet and so when they added on that scene and like they finally say it to each other as, like, they're, he's getting pulled away by the Normandy. I'm like, yeah, that was probably, like, one of the most, like, hyperventilating cries I had had back in 2012 when they put the incident cut out. Yeah. Yeah. And then the ending. Yeah, <laughs> I, I guess we're here now. We're here. We're here so now. the magic carpet noise. is going to, as- to descend and take us up to the ending. Um after after many years of thinking about this as somebody who was disappointed by the original ending, certainly not to the point that I like got online and got mad at anyone about it, but I was just kind of like, oh yeah, that's, that's how that ended. Whatever. Like, you know, Tachanka Rannick was, was cool, but uh, I didn't like that ending too much. Um, I still do kind of feel like I'm always dreading the ending in a way. Even now, playing through this playthrough, I'm having that moment where I'm like, do I want to go for destroyer do i want to go for synthesis um do i want to see the synthesis one through and or do i want to like just go back to destroy like i always do and um i i don't think my my problem has ever necessarily just been with like the the choices that you make and you know people are always like oh you just pick a color or whatever like that's a dumb (laughs) it's a really dumb way of looking at it because i think as as we talked about in our mass effect 3 finale way back when like those choices are all kind of the culmination of different schools of thought that you've been building up over the course of the trilogy where you have like the very aggressive, like, yes, we need to destroy this. You know, we need to ensure that the Reapers cannot happen again, or we need to control. uh, We believe that we can control. It's almost that open palm from Jade Empire where like we could Mm. control, but also like that puts Shepard in a tenuous position. And also like it does kill your Shepard, but, um, 
at least their body. And, um, and then you have synthesis, which has myriad different interpretations and issues and mm. ethical concerns, <laughs> or you have the weird ones that people do where you just like, don't make a decision or, or shoot the, shoot the, the catalyst child. or whatever. <laughs> yeah. Um, and I don't think any of that is the thing I have with the choices. I think ultimately it just always comes down to like, I, I, the reapers, I always like the reapers more as like an existential threat and as, as a concept that you were trying to understand and, and rationalize. And so I think the one, two punch of it being like, Oh yeah, this is, this is what the reapers are. This is what they were actually doing. This is what they were trying to do. Um, not only kind of just like reducing them down to like, yeah, there's, there's some robots that they're Skynet, you know, they got out of control. It was probably a bad idea to make them. And they've been doing this for ages. And, but also just like, I, I, I don't know. I, I'm having trouble, like, still vocalizing what my my catch up on it is but i think it's like i wanted there to feel just a little bit more like they had led you up to this point and they had like signposted some of the stuff and that it felt like um it was a culmination of some of the things that they were doing i wish it felt more like your shepherd it it, it was important that your shepherd was making this decision versus like any shepherd making the decision if that makes sense like I, w I want choices that feel in line with who my shepherd is. And I think the way it's constructed ends up just feeling like which ethical dilemma are you most personally okay with? <laughs> um, but I'm also like, I'm always willing to hear from stuff. So that's how did Ken, let's start with you. I have a feeling you're, you're, you, you might take onus with some of the things I've just said. So how do you feel about the ending? I have, um, especially in like 2021, I guess we should contextualize yeah, I this think, in the realm of the legendary edition. I, I, I do think that is like important context because I, I do feel like large parts of the controversy kind of don't matter anymore. And I wish that, that was like something that we could all maybe like, if even if like we're not, we're still not satisfied with like the end product, I think it is important to acknowledge that Bioware did put shit in place to kind of like alleviate certain concerns and. There's part of me that like even going into Legend Edition, I was like, how worth it is to bring is it to bring baggage from something that happened almost ten years ago, to a product that no longer reflects a lot of that pro a lot of those problems, whether it be like bringing in Leviathan to kind of like, you know, really clarify some things, and also like some of the extended cut dialogue with the Catalyst, um, like all, all the things are there, and like you know when, when people still like try and chalk it up to colors, then I'm like, oh, you had no interest in half of the problems you said you just wanted to be mad. You just, you're just mad that you're not getting your perfect sunshine ending where mm -hmm. you were able to game the system and find some way to get out of this unscathed. Because um, I think mm. I am, like, even I think, I think Normandy FM might have been what kind of, like, started to chip away at, like, my sort of uh, initial thoughts, which was a lot of it was sort of, like, enjoying the ending in spite of the controversy and also like being so emboldened and that I still liked it that like I was very angry at the controversy like I was obviously like fighting back against it and every, every time I had a discussion about it but I think now that we are like this far removed and like they like all these things are in place now um I've kind of come to realize I think the ending of Mass Effect 3 might be my single favorite choice moment in the franchise because of, this is something that I talked about on 99 Potions was that like I love the idea that Shepard does not speak when they make the decision of the, and the Mass Effect 3 because 
you make your decision through an action, whether it's shooting for destroy, holding on to that like control mechanism for control, or jumping into the light for synthesis. Because you can be as so as one with Shepard in that moment that you are able to internalize your reasoning for that. Shepard does not have to speak it into the game for it to be recognized. This is all about, you know, like like you like you, I mean you did say like it is like which of these are you like most okay with, but also like that's kind of been the way that all its decisions in these games have usually gone. Like there are very few instances where like you are able to round up enough resources that you get out completely unscathed, like Vermeer, like, yeah, okay, I don't like Ashley, but that does not, it's not like I was jonesing for a reason to kill her off, or like a means to do that. Like, it was me picking a character, like, picking a character that, in the context of everything that's happening in that mission, what felt like that was the least objectionable thing for me to do, was to save Caden. If I couldn't save them both, I could save one of them at least. Um, things like Tuchanka, like, you know, I, I, I'm, of course I want to cure the genophage, but I'm going to have to lose Morden to do it. Like, there's no way for me to find a way for Morden to, like, th- those, like, curing the genophage and Morden's death are, like, two things that can, like, they go hand in hand. Like, there's not a way for me to game the system around those. And so, I just, like, I really appreciate Mass Effect 3's ending when it comes to executing that idea of, like, Shepard doesn't have to speak my reasoning in- into words. I can just internalize why I picked the destroy option, because... It is, yes, it is the least objectionable thing, but it also just, like, is in line with the character that I've been playing that entire time. And, yeah, it's, like, it's a very deeply personal thing, but I don't think that a lot of people are used to having... I'm not sure I phrased this right. Like, I, I feel like there's a lot of people that, like, want the game to justify to them everything that they do. Like, they want the game to come up with a reasoning why something is least objectionable or, like, why it is quote-unquote right. Um... And I just, what I love about Mass Effect 3's ending is that, like, you have to d- determine for yourself what it means for you to make this decision, and you gotta carry that weight. You just gotta, it's sure, it's like, it's not the perfect outcome that you wanted, it's not, it's not, like, a, an immediate kill Reaper's button, but you, like, this is the situation you're in. And, like, that's why I think, like, the, the refusal ending, and, like, that idea that, like, I should be able to exist outside of the story that is written to find some other solution for them to just be like, no, this is not how this fucking works, like, you don't get to come in here and, like, go against what the story has been telling you for 30 hours and find some other solution, because that's not the story that's been written. And, you know, like, you have to make a decision. Like, either you make a decision or, like, with the solution that's been offered to you, or you're just going to lose. Like, it's it's that plain and simple. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's just something that still resonates with me about this ending. And I think through, like, doing Normandy FM and talking to other people and, like, having to be like, hey, like, this is, in you know, in the way that it is, in line with, like, the sort of... Uh, choice-making philosophy of these games. Um, I just feel like, I've really come to appreciate it over the years, and that is, like, I'm starting to get to the point now where, like, having lived in the thick of Mass Effect 3's controversy, uh, and, like, having, like, I guess, like, we'll call it, like, internet psychic trauma uh, associated with it, um, I think I'm finally starting to get away from that and just, like, really appreciate it on its own terms, and, yeah, like, it's it still gets to me today. Like, I'm still kind of in awe of that they ended the, the game as boldly as they did, um, I'm, I'm rambling a lot, so whoever else wants to go, can go. I also chose Destroy. I, I destroy think squad. I remember. <laughs> yeah. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I think I may have had brain worms, um, the, I, because that was, uh, a, that was peak internet age for me, uh, when Mass Effect 3 was released, <laughs> and then there was this, like, um, this marketing campaign. I don't know if it was just, like, you know fandom discourse or if this was actual like bioware marketing but the idea was to like finish the fight mm. 
and controlling the Reapers didn't finish the fight to right. me, obviously. Like, synthesizing is, like, a weird choice um, just to irrevocably overwrite all life in the galaxy and, you know, just right. change it into this new thing just doesn't seem right. Like, it was, at the time, seemed like, okay, yeah, this is a nice neutral option, but it's kind of not. Right. It's kind of insidious. Yeah. And so Destroy was like, finish the fight, destroy the Reapers. Yeah, it comes with a cost, but I just headcanon that away. <laughs> I, I just I I refuse to accept that. Yeah, the Reapers are fine, or the the Geth are fine. They're good. Yeah, they just went to a farm upstate mm-hmm. in another galaxy. They're fine. Oh, okay. So I guess that's my turn. Um, yeah, destroy a squad. Uh, it's funny to me because like I, at least when I played it, I didn't see the correlation or like the. Oh, that people associate destroy with renegade and control with paragon. Like I understood, like both of them are blue and both of them are red for the destroy and renegade stuff. But like, for me, the only option was only ever destroy because I had set out to do this very specific thing, which is ironic. Then, of course, considering that. Destroy is the ending in which it's guaranteed that the cycle will begin anew someday again. It'll be maybe millions of years from now, but it's the one ending in which the threat isn't permanently erased. Mm. There, There's explicitly room given for the cycle to start again. And yeah. so it's like <laughs> technically the least effective ending in mm. destroying the Reapers. Um, but I... And this is this might not make sense, um, but I I do think it is a testament to the beauty of this series and just the strength of the individual narrative that it can provide. Um, because like I had spent the entire series being as paragon as possible, um, but at the end I go with the choice that is quote unquote renegade, and I know that it's not going to ultimately accomplish in ending the cycle forever but for me Shepard's story and like the bonds that I created with these characters was selfishly more important to me mm-hmm. um like I was like okay um I literally did what Ash did I had cannons that the guests are not affected <laughs> or like I I mm-hmm. had cannons that like I created a small fix-it fic in my head that I was like oh yeah, they think the Geth are destroyed, but they're not really. Like, a year later, or like 10 years later, they find out that there's a way to get them back. It's fine. Like, it's totally fine. Edie's fine. We're all fine. Um, and so I just essentially had cannons that away for myself, and Bioware lets me do that. Mm. Um, and the most important part to me is that Shepard lives, and that is such a selfish thing, especially when Mass Effect 3 spent the entirety you know, of its story telling me, hey, the galaxy revolves not around Shepard. The galaxy, like, there's so many stories here. There are so many people affected by this war. Um, So it is an extremely selfish thing of me to just, like, on my part, to just be like, well, I'm going to pick Destroy because that's the ending where uh, Shepard breathes and she gets to reunite with Garrus eventually if she makes it out of that rubble, which she probably does. Um, And... I'm still going to do it anyway. (laughs) Um, It's so selfish. And it speaks to, I think, just 
you know, it might just mean I'm a really selfish person overall. But, <laughs> you know, there's also that contradiction. I, th- I think it does, you know, that is an experience that a lot of people that I've talked to have had, like that contradiction in morality and like, you know, playing the entire game this one way and then deciding to go another way with the ending. It just goes to show that like there's so much nuance and complexity mm-hmm. to these endings and like the reasons why you get to choosing them um the logic that you make and that you create for yourself to justify your reasonings and so it's really hard to see any ending as bad or wrong or just like oh you picked a color or something like to me you know i i always go with destroy but i totally understand why people would go for control or synthesis Mm -hmm. which is like a weird hybrid ending that like it's hard to wrap my head around, but I still think it's, like, really interesting and provides a, an alternative. And, like, I can totally see why people, you know, like, with a, with a journey as personal as this, it is very hard not to see why people mm-hmm. choose the ending that they do. And that is something very intensely personal and not something I would. It's kind of like music. Like, mm. even if I don't like the type of music that you like. I'm not going to say that it's bad because, like, you have had this entire path. You know, Mass Effect is music. It is, like, it is an (laughs) entire just medium. Yeah, that's basically what I'm saying. No, but, yeah, I pick Destroy, and I'm going to go with Destroy every time because, um, I don't know. Like, when we were on that podcast with Jennifer Hale, Ken, um, when she was, like, you know, I just, I want, I want to return to this world as Shepard. I want there to be more stories for Shepard. I know that you don't mm. like that idea. And honestly, I don't either. Part of me doesn't either. But a part of me is like, let's bring Shepard back. Let's just like, <laughs> like uh, emotions trump over logic for me. And I think that's what this ending represents for me. The emotions that I had with these characters and my Shepard trumped the logic of like, the destroy ending will not accomplish what I truly want to set out to do, but I'm going to do it anyway. Cause if what's the point to life if I, if I don't, you know, honor those emotions and yeah. So. And selfishness can be like an interesting compulsion too. And I think that's like an element that always gets downplayed when we talk about these endings is that like Shepard is choosing how they're going to die and like what they die for. And I think that's, ultimately what I maybe wanted more out of in the ending is just like, you know, what are, what is, if Shepard has to sacrifice themselves, what are they willing to sacrifice themselves for? And Mm -hmm. I think branching it in that way muddies the water a little bit because now it's like, you know, it's this, this magical lit up kid who like, I, I could go into a very long time just talking about how, I'm not wild about them introducing the crucible and the catalyst so late in the mm-hmm. series as a whole and the trilogy as a whole. And yep. um, I wish there had been, you know, like again, not to cinema since the trilogy, but um, you know, they drop in other hints towards other things throughout the series that seem like they're going somewhere and then don't really ever go anywhere. Uh, and there's a lot of writing and, and interviews and stuff about that out there already. Um, so it's not worth rehashing, but uh in, in terms of that stuff, it was like, you've got this magical kid there. It's like, well, you've got three ways to die, Shepard. Which one do you like? And He's an AI, um, by the way. I, I know, but I like I like the magic part. I don't. <laughs> um, but it's... Uh, the, the, the thing that gets me about it is that I do wish there had been 
maybe a little bit more emphasis or, or just like thought gone into and i mean this comes from both like how we talk about it and how the game talks about it to be clear but um like, like what is shepherd willing to sacrifice themselves for what you know it, throughout the trilogy what have they been willing to put themselves in harm's way for and what what do they think is the outcome that that clicks best with that i mean and i think some of the final evolution stuff doesn't really click because they hadn't really talked about this idea of merged organics and synthetics at all um like there were some ideas of it but never really like Edie is maybe the the only one that really touches on that idea and then the part in the Rannoch stuff where Geth where where Legion is talking about how the Geth uh have changed their thought processes using the Reaper code and that's like maybe the the kernel of it but you know we're not really looking at any of that stuff in in Mass Effect 1 and I I think that's just where I would have liked like clearer paths ahead and so I think maybe my my problem with three is just that while this was planned as a trilogy in some way I don't think the ending was planned as a trilogy if that makes sense like I have they ever gone on record to say like did they have an idea for what they how they wanted to end it like specifically at the end um like like from the outset Uh, I mean there have been interviews about like certain possibilities that were in in play um I don't like I mean I I know for a fact that there was been, there was something before the the, the dark matter one was like the big one because that's yeah. the one that pops up all the time in two where they're like oh dark matter dark matter is something we gotta start caring about and like random characters start mentioning dark matter all the time. There's also a lot that they changed just because Mass Effect three had such a short development time, mm-hmm. and so I'm something that I've been thinking about as we've been recording is like what would a Mass Effect three that had maybe one extra year what would that look like? Right. What would that ending look like? And what would the endings of the individual characters look like? And we'll never know, but it's, it's interesting to think about. And I think that is kind of like, you know, to bring it all home to, to a last topic is like, now we have the trilogy as a cohesive thing that you can buy and play. There's not really that, um, going through what folks have had to go through before where it's like, okay, you got to buy the thing, you got to buy the DLC. What order do you, I mean, there still is an element of like, what order do you play it in? Because they didn't do a great job of handling that stuff. One, this two. Game. Oh, the DLC. I thought you meant like no, the, the, the game. Yeah, sorry, like, DLC. There are numbers at the end. <laughs> no, 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 no. See, I, this is my, my star Wars thing where I'm like, this is the watch order. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it's like, what order do you play the DLC in and all that kind of mm. stuff? Um, and where does it all fit together? Uh, do we feel that like a, uh, this is going to make me groan saying it, but it is the question I want to ask. Do we feel like this is an archival work? Like this is what we want to like, if we were going to preserve the Mass Effect trilogy, what it is, what it was, what it will be for the, you know, moving forward as we move into a new Mass Effect and we start thinking about where this universe goes from here, is this like the Library of Congress version that we would want to like carry forward? Mm. Damn. Yeah. Sure. Why not? No, I mean, it's. Yeah, I, I guess so. Yeah. I feel, well, I guess when you talk about it in terms of like Mass Effect specifically, that makes sense. But I don't know if I would call Mass Effect trilogy an archival work in terms of all of video games. I get weird about stuff like that because there is so many video games out there 
that I don't think that, you know, particular ones should be like enshrined mm. for whatever reason. You know? Oh yeah. I just, but, I just mean like, is it being, is this work being presented? Cause I think about other, like we've had a lot of games now where we've had the opportunity to go back and say like, Oh, we're remaking final fantasy seven. What does it mean to remake it? Like, what are we preserving? What are we keeping? What are we changing? And so I think there's been a good reason to think about how we preserve experiences that are starting to like fade into the background and is this the way we want to preserve the trilogy is it a good way has it been preserved i i think it is because it is putting it all in one thing and i think like that's not even just like the games themselves i think the dlc because those it's a weird thing that i'm realizing is like i guess i have like a weird distorted view of what dlc should be or like how Mm -hmm. integral it should be because like majority of like the dlc that i experience is Bioware, and because like, I don't, there aren't a lot of other games that like, I will go back to, to experience like a, a story content for, um, and I think they are also just like so integral to the story. I think like from things like Arrival and Lord Shadowbroker and Leviathan, it's just like I don't like if anybody were ever to come to me and say like, should I play Mass Effect? First, I would say yes, but also I would say play Legendary Edition because that is like a definitive sort of all-encompassing work instead of like me being happy to explain like okay go buy one two and three and then this dlc this dlc this one and like the ones that matter um i think like across the trilogy like it i like i know there was a lot of concern like leading up to one specifically that it was going to kind of like change too much or like not be the same game and i think like it is largely even if i would argue to its detriment the same game and and, like i think there's a lot of extra changes they could have done but just chose not to and that's that's their prerogative, um, but yeah, I like I I think it is the version that I'm going to tell people to play anytime they ever ask again. I think so too. Um, I think they they did a great job of for me that they didn't change the things that I dislike about say Mass Effect One since it's my least favorite one mm. in the series, but I still love it. Um, the fact that they didn't change um, those things or make them less tedious to me is both like oh damn i have to go through this again and it's also like thank god i have to go through this again like Mm. this is the experience that it originally was for better and for worse and i wouldn't trade it for any other way because that's Mm. why i'm i'm here like in a lot of ways mass effect is why i'm here in the industry while why i'm here as a person Mm -hmm. and those awful pesky moments in Mass Effect 1 um, you know I'm dreading getting to Novaria and Pharaohs and like all those annoying planets um, I'm glad that they didn't change them and that they didn't feel compelled to make them better just because like it's it's Mass Effect people love it for its flaws and its virtues and the legacy it's left behind and I wouldn't want it any other way, so mm. I'm I'm pretty good. Yeah, I think they could have certainly done better with the integration of the DLC. For example, Arrival should only be playable at the end yeah, of Mass Effect Two. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I have no fucking idea why they did not do things that way. Yeah. Um, but for the most part, yeah, I mean, this is and it's video game preservation is so difficult overall right like there's so many great games out there that i'll never get to play not because i'm not interested in them but because they've been sort of lost to oblivion Mm -hmm. and will remain on their systems that are hard to acquire and you know but i'm 
I'm so glad. I'm so glad that the same experience has been ported uh, to a new generation. I'm thinking about all the little queer brown girls out there who, you know, there's probably several of them who aren't going to high school because they're too depressed and too socially anxious. Um, and they're finding something to love in Mass Effect and they're finding a community and the story that will change them forever. Mm. And I think that's pretty fucking cool. Um, you know, all its flaws and great moments accounted for. Yeah. yeah. It's, yeah. It's just a seminal, seminal work mm. that, I, that I love to death. Mm-hmm. And I'm glad that it's come back to me. Mm-hmm. So I have the opportunity to play it again, you know. It's not something, I love this game, but it's not something I would choose to do again, you know. Just because I, I like the way that it's been preserved in my memory. Mm-hmm. But I like the opportunity to go back and, I guess, make new memories and catch yeah. the things that I missed. Yeah, for sure. Excellent. Folks, that is the end of our roundtables. Thank you so much to the guests we've had on today. Wait, are we, not, are, we not ta- are we not talking about this last bullet what? point here? What? What about, what, what do we want on, on a next Mass Effect? Well, because like, I have actual thoughts with this. Like, I, I, form th- oh, I no. formulated thoughts. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. Kim's so, got thoughts. We are so okay. <laughs> that trailer came out at the VGAs uh, fucking six months ago, um, and I was vocal about that I didn't that I was fucking feeling some type of way about it, and so something that I am thinking about now as Legendary is, is out and a new generation is playing it. Um, something that was like a kind of conversation point around that trailer was the idea that Bioware might pick a canon ending for the Mass Effect trilogy. And uh, something that Legendary Edition is kind of maybe maybe less worried about that notion. It makes me, makes me think that Bioware still realizes that, like, trying like preserving a player's, like, experience and choice and who Shepard was in their mind, like, it's still, like, a, a value that they uh, kind of, like, something that, something they still value is Legendary Edition, actually, because they have gone another way, in a lot of ways, to kind of... Uh, like, make Shepard more of an idea than they are a person. Like, like that comes from, like, small things, like the uh, the cover of Legendary Edition doesn't show Shepard. Like, you can't even see if it's male or female Shepard. Um, they put out that fucking box art creator that, like, was like, hey, tailor this to, like, your relationship with these characters and this world, and, you know, like, really, like, lean into the fact that Shepard and the Mass Effect trilogy mean something different to everybody. Um, and... I don't. I feel like those are very calculated things that you're making. Like if you are, especially if you're like reintroducing something to a lot of people that maybe never even played it, because like a lot of the a lot of the argument that I saw around that trailer and like the 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 possibility that Bioware might be picking an ending was like, oh, it's been so long. Who cares? Well, Bioware just fucking reset the clock. Like they have brought in like a a new way for like millions of people to play these games that never did. That are going to like have an attachment and an expectation that their choices are going to mean something going forward. And even if that game is like five years away, like they, they put that trailer out, you know, months before they were bringing out a remaster that, where they were going to introduce people to something that like hasn't really been replicated in all these years. Like it is, they're set an expectation for what the series is, like what it means to be a Mass Effect game, like what that universe means, what it, these choices mean, what those characters mean. And so I'm still hesitant about like being excited about that game because there's still like the notion that they might like shit on the legacy of a series that has gone so far out of its way to, like, never 
canonize anything. Like, I mean, like, there are, like, choices that don't, like, get the, the respect that they deserve or relationships that don't. But they always, like, made, like, you know, external media exist in the spaces of those games and, like, never step on shit that players have done. Um, so I feel like bringing out Legendary Edition with this, like, very clear, like, uh, philosophy to it that Shepard is not one person. They are all of us. Like, Shep- like I think, like, Jennifer Hale said it in our... Uh, in our interview with her, like, Shepard is, like, a feeling. Shepard is an energy, like, as opposed to a person, specifically. Um, I don't think you make the decisions that Bioware has made with Legendary Edition without, like, keeping that very core pillar of the series in mind. So I feel like Legendary Edition has made me a little bit more open to the idea of going back to the Milky Way, because, like, they, they clearly still give a shit. Like, they're clearly, like, not gonna, like, piss... Like, or, at least, they don't appear to be, like, pissing on the idea that Shepard could be somebody different for everybody. So that's my thoughts. Like, I, I am a little bit more uh, optimistic about this upcoming game, is what I'll say. Yeah, I think it's been so many years since Mass Effect 3 came out, and the particular controversy and the gravity of the controversy that they faced is something that I have no doubt legitimately traumatized a lot Mm. of those developers on that team um i can't imagine i've never been worried about this actually because i can't imagine them not considering the reaction of the community if they were to canonize a certain ending um i think there is some level of like distance that i can afford in evaluating that because like if there is one ending that has the most chance of being legitimized it is a destroy ending which is the one that i picked so it would be very convenient for me but you know i try to think like what of the you know i picked another ending that would really fucking suck yeah. for everyone who doesn't actually go with the destroy ending um and yeah i can't imagine them actually going back on or, or like betraying that expectation and that yeah. foundation that they've set of honoring the players choices i think it's it's different from dragon age i think dragon age they're able to sort of get away with manipulating things here and there because overall they can use the excuse of it's the grander world at large like mm-hmm. dragon age is a story of thetas not one particular hero but mass effect at least so far it's been about you know, a lot Shepard. of different people, a galaxy, but it's been about Shepard and Ryder for one game. Uh, we don't know if we'll see them again, but it's been about Shepard. So I cannot imagine them going back on that or like not being super sensitive to that in any way. So I'm actually not worried. I'm, mm. yeah, I'm faithful in whatever they'll do next, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah. I, um, I've I've put a lot of thought into how they're going to handle this too and I I think there are ways of skirting some of that stuff like if you set it far enough beyond and obviously if they're mm-hmm. going to incorporate Andromeda in some way and Liara's got you know she's only 109 by the time you're playing Mass Effect 3 so she's got 900 more years potentially no. <laughs> to work with <laughs> so um there there are ways that you could get around and be like oh yeah it's we were we were controlling the reapers but you know they broke down and we don't know how to repair that shit because it's reaper tech so they're all they're all junk now but oh i mean um, like i don't think you need to even do that i just like i feel like the existence of the reapers is not like as much of like this thing that you have to write away i think you can just like if the story's not about the reapers it doesn't matter if they're there or not 
they can be as simple as like cameos, change dialogue. That's kind of like been my thing. Like I don't think you even need to do things that like undo the depravity of what Shepard did at the end of Mass Effect Three. I think you just need to care enough to like write the write a story that exists around it as opposed to like has to undo anything. Yeah, yeah. no, I'm more just thinking like whether or not giant space squid ships still exist are probably like that's that's tough to write around I mean given like what they'd have to work with I don't um, know, like, I, I just I, again like I, don't, I think like if the story's not about the reapers it doesn't matter if like they're like an, a you, you don't think that would feel cheap if they're just like yeah they controlled the reapers and then the reapers all went back to deep space no but, I mean like they can still it. be around the they can again. be like in the background of scenes like they like I, I, that's what I'm saying it's like I don't think if the reapers are not like a you know, a thing in the, in the story that is being told. And I don't think it really, I, like, I don't think you have to find some excuse for them to not be around if they can be around, but not necessarily relevant to what's going on. That, that, that one's the time. I think the actual big one to overcome would be synthesis versus not synthesis. Cause then you got to deal with every species of there being some mix of organic and synthetic or they're not being that mm-hmm. and I think that's a higher hurdle to overcome in yeah. that regard and so I think if anything mm-hmm. actually gets removed from the, like a retcon I think it would be synthesis but um, that's just because like otherwise how the heck do you navigate that in terms of like oh well we had an anti-synthetic weapon but it didn't work on that person because they were organic but it does work on this person in this version of the playthrough because they're kind of synthetic and I, I don't know but um, that's all for the Mass Effect next team to figure out. Best, <laughs> best of luck with that. Um, yeah, no, I think more than anything, I do want whatever comes next for Mass Effect 2 to have that distance and be willing to, like, you know, yeah, certainly have some cameos and some tie-ins and stuff like that. It's That's give the people what they want. What's but, the point of going um, back to the Milky Way if you're not going to have that? Yeah, but at the same time, like, I think there are interesting things to still explore. I mean, I've said it a million times that I would love a game that is exclusively set on the Citadel, both to like give you a real feeling of how big the Citadel is, because I don't think we've ever gotten that feeling in any of the three games. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. Like Mass Effect 2, Mass Effect 3's Citadel is an elevator with different stops, and it's that's I, I'm going to say bad things about all three of them. I'm not trying to dump on any specific one, <laughs> it's, but but like Mass Effect 2's is like one very specific ward that you're just kind of contained in, and then Mass Effect 1's is like maybe the closest to giving you an idea of the grandeur of the Citadel, but even then, it's kind of basically just one of the maps from Mass Effect 3. Um, so I I would love a game that gives us like a real idea of the breadth and also like the depth of the citadel we hear a lot of talk about like different areas and different wards and stuff like that i would love to explore that a little bit but um something like ways in which they can give us more insight into those worlds um with their role playing and all that um would be exciting but really i'm just happy to play some mass effect again that's that's the weirdest part is that playing literally a hundred hours of this game in the last <laughs> two and a half weeks. Um, and I'm still like, yep, I, I like playing Mass Effect. Um, the lesson is that we're going to take breadcrumbs. Just going yes. back yes. full circle. We will take crumbs. Now we're back to breadcrumbs. Just give us anything, please. Yeah. <laughs> Something. I just like that I can go home now whenever I want. And don't have to fuck yep. up my fucking 360 for it. 
Oh, yeah. I've mentioned it before. Always bears repeating like photo mode and share button and stuff Mm -hmm. like that with the Mass Effect series is is incredible. It's so good. Uh, I thought you were saying something really emotional about going back home. Like, I'm just glad I get to go home again, like Caden's arms. And then I realized that you were talking about like, you know, home. Mass Effect, home. Mass Effect is home to me. Yeah, yeah. That, that's emotional. But also Caden's arms. But like, I mean, Caden's <laughs> arms happen to be there, so like, it's part of it. <laughs> it's a nice plus. Oh, okay. Well, now, now, I can say that's the end of our roundtable. Um, and and say thank you to the guests that we have brought on both here and on the other episodes if you've been listening along uh or if you haven't you should go back and listen to them but mass effect one was cat bailey and john warren mass effect two is elise favis lucy james and michael Hyam. and here in mass effect three we have ash Parrish and natalie flores want to thank y'all thank everyone who came on and made these roundtables so much fun this was really cool to like go back and revisit this stuff in honor of the legendary edition so before we bounce out ash where can the folks at home follow your work and all the things you do uh, I write frequently uh, about Mass Effect in as much as I can <laughs> on Kotaku.com, so you can find me there, or you can find me yelling about any number of random things on my Twitter, at AdAstra, that's A-D-A-S-H-T-R-A. Natalie, you've said it many times before, say it again, where, where can the folks find your work? Yeah, so you can find me at HardyMesia on Twitter, that's heart, I-M-E-C-I-A. I also do a lot of writing over at fanbite.com. And yeah, thank you for having me for this round table. Yeah, this was super dope. Yeah. I love to talk I about I hope they give us another trilogy so we can come back and do this again in 10 years. <laughs> yeah. Right. Oh, oh, when we're all ancient and. <laughs> what, 40, bro? Just, just ancient? <laughs> when we're all ancient. And games industry I was, time, I was that's thinking like soul, ancient. Yeah, soul years was more of what I was thinking of <laughs> after we're all worn down by this industry. Um, you know, to be honest, like Eric and I, like I, I, I spoke an idea into the, this was like, you know, we like I, I still am like pretty proud of our Mass Effect seasons of the show, but like, man, it would be so much fucking better now. Like all the people that we have met through this show, even that could come on and talk to talk to us about you know the minutia of these things. It is funny the number of times we've talked to people to bring them on for like Jade Empire or Last of Us or for these roundtables, and they're like. Yeah, if you ever want to do Mass Effect One, like if you want to do a mission about Mass Effect One, I'd love to come on. <laughs> We're like, oh, like we already that, did you, that. You are three but, years late to that. Yeah, <laughs> but but maybe I don't know. First, I gotta make Ken play Fallout New Vegas. That's gotta happen first. You're, you're gonna play that when my, when my mouth is wired shut, so I can't be on. Yeah, you're right. We, we're saving that for when the mouth is wired shut. Um, <laughs> I'm getting jaw surgery. That sounds very weird. <laughs> like, for anyone who needs to know why my mouth would be wired shut. <laughs> no, this is just something me and Ken do every once in a while. Don't worry about it. Um, for for all the listeners, of course, this is the last of our roundtables. If you were a patron, you were getting these early as a sign of our thanks. As always, we have the Patreon, patreon.com slash normdfm, where you can sign up, get into our Discord, and get different backer benefits there. We are also continuing our Last of Us Part 2 podcast, where you might be hearing familiar voices on future episodes very soon on that hint hint nudge nudge hint about a guest <laughs> wink wink <laughs> yeah. um very excited about that i am actually once we finish this podcast i'm going to go play my playtime for for that stuff so it's been a good season thus far and y'all should be tuning in for that and then after that you know we're looking at what's 
Next, after that, we have not completely locked it down. I know I have been teasing it uh, nonchalantly for a while, but we are still making sure that we can do what we want to do for certain stuff, so nothing is set in stone yet, but we are looking at what's next uh, beyond that. But for now, for Natalie, for Ash, for Ken, for myself, for everyone out there, for all of our roundtable guests, and for all of you at home listening, thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in. Hey, we'll, we'll see you when the next Mass Effect comes around. Thank you.